All right, so we're back for the second half of our bracket. So let's go ahead and get started. This is the bracket with Brett the Hitman Hart as the number one seed. So we have Brett Hart versus Dino Bravo in the first round matchup. So battle of two Canadians. So Scott, what's your take on Brett Hart versus Dino Bravo? Great matchup. Uh, great Canadian uh, battle here. Uh, good rivalry. Uh, Dino, to me, was always like your mid-card, uh, kind of like a Hercules. You know, he would throw an upset in every now and then, but always gave everybody a, a good battle, whether he won or lost. Uh, I was always kind of a Dino Bravo fan. I liked him as, as a heel, but uh, he never carried the weight that Bret Hart did. I mean, Bret's just too significant to the to the business and, and the company at the time to not let him go over here. I, I think it's a good, uh, decent match. Maybe you catch it on Saturday night's main event, but uh, that would be it. Bret Hart goes over. I agree. Uh, I don't really, I think it's a good matchup, but I just think, like you said, Bret Hart was uh, too important in this era. I mean, I think he's overall a technically better wrestler, but it'd really be a good matchup because Dino Bravo, he was a good heel. I mean, he could really generate that heat at good power. Um, I just think Bret Hart definitely goes over here with fans. So just kind of wanted to give some props to Dino Bravo, though, because originally I didn't have him in this bracket. And I was like, man, I've got to have Dino Bravo. He was too good of a star. Yeah, Dino deserves to be mentioned. I mean, he was a super strong man. Uh, bench pressed well over 500 pounds, uh, maybe even around the 600-pound mark. And at the time, that was world class. I mean, uh, you know, unmistakable, you know, no mistake about it. Uh, Dino was was significant. Yep. All right, so Bret Hart moves on, and our next matchup is one of the hottest rivalries in the er early 80s in Georgia Championship Wrestling, and that's Wildfire Tommy Rich versus Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. <laughs> it's going to be a wild one. Like I said on the show a few times, I really got my start in wrestling watching the Georgia Championship Wrestling that came on TBS on Saturday afternoon at 5.05. And... Um, you know, Tommy Wildfire Rich was the big heel over there, or the big face. I mean, he was super popular. You know, had that long blonde hair, and the, everybody was all for him. And the, the big heel was Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. They had these bloody matches in the Battle of Atlanta in the cage, and ultimately Tommy Rich ended up winning out. But, you know, Buzz Sawyer was a big heel, not only in Georgia, but in uh, a lot of territories. So talk about these two guys. So my, my exposure to Wildfire Tommy Rich was early in the Memphis days, as as we've established. That's where I, I kind of started my wrestling fandom. And uh, again, back in the territory days when these guys would travel from one to the other, Tommy Rich did some time over in Memphis with Lawler. And of course, Tommy Rich, uh, I think he may have came in as a face and he and Lawler were buddies, but then eventually that ran its course and they fought each other <laughs> just like they always did. Uh, and I was a fan of, of Tommy Rich. He was not the best built, best conditioned athlete, but he was good on the mic and he drew a lot of, a lot of heat, whether he was a, a face or a heel, uh, a great matchup. Uh, the match definitely happened many times over. I liked Buzz Sawyer. I think just in my opinion, only because I was more exposed to Tommy Rich, uh, I think he goes over here for me. Yeah, I, I think Rich goes over. I just think um, – I had to adjust my mic there. Um, I just think he was more significant. Um, Buzz Sawyer, you know, he was out, I guess, by the – you know what? Maybe he was still around in the early 90s, but, you know, 
Tommy Rich was just so over in the early 80s. I mean, he was just red hot, a former world time uh, world heavyweight champion, taking it from Harley Race. He didn't keep it very long, but um, he was a former NWA world heavyweight champion. And now, uh, now if I'm not mistaken, Buzz Sawyer was a part of a very good tag team with uh, Maniac Matt Bourne. Is that correct? Matt Bourne and Buzz Sawyer? Yeah. We yeah. also had a, um, a guy named Brett Wayne Sawyer who was a relative. I don't know if that was kayfabe or not, but I mean, he was, Buzz Sawyer was a major, major part of early ma- early wrestling in the 80s and 90s and just a real wild card right. character. But I think he got into drugs and just ended up dying early. But Tommy Rich, you know, when he left Georgia, basically when WWF bought Georgia Championship Wrestling, you know, he obviously didn't go to WWF. He, uh, and he went back to Memphis because he's a Tennessee guy and he was in that territory with Jerry Lawler. I think one thing with Tommy Rich, and they always have these debates, you know, why didn't Tommy Rich have a, a better career? Because, I mean, like I said, in the early 80s, I mean, there, there wasn't anybody any hotter than him other than maybe the Von Erics as far as popularity. Right. And I think it goes back to what we've said with guys like Bob Backlund and these guys that their physiques were just not what you were seeing from Kerry Von Erich and Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff and Hogan. And, you know, we mentioned with Wyndham too. And if you just didn't have that look, it was hard to promote those guys. Right. And I think with Jerry Lawler, you know, maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but Jerry was also owner of the territory down there too. So the fact that he didn't have the look of a, um, a Kerry Von Erich, well, he's still booking himself and he could still talk. Exactly right. So I, I think that's really the big thing that held Tommy Rich back. But he was a good heel down in Memphis. Absolutely. They, they had some good battles. Yeah. So, all right. So we're moving on. Tommy Rich, we're following the, the story of Tommy Rich uh, coming out over Buzz Sawyer, just like he did in the Battle of Atlanta in 1983. All right. Next matchup. This matchup right here. I think is a, a fantastic technical matchup, and I'd love to, to have seen it. Um, Owen Hart versus Dean Malenko. I love Dean Malenko. I think he was a tremendously uh, talented wrestler. I don't think he got the push as long as he should have in WCW because he had that losing streak toward the end. But, man, as far as a, a technical wrestler, between him and Kurt Angle and probably Bret Hart and Benoit, I don't know if there's anybody any better than than Dean Malenko. I mean, he was just solid. And Owen Hart was very good, too, in the ring. I'll just be honest. I was not really an Owen Hart fan as far as his wrestling character. I was definitely not a fan of the Blue Blazer. And, you know, usually the guys he was going against in WWF, I was rooting for the other guy. But, I mean, a very talented wrestler. And, of course, he died tragically in that accident uh, in the ring and just a, a major loss for the wrestling fans in that period. And, um, you know, you hear these stories of Owen Hart, how, you know, he was so well respected by the wrestlers, uh, for being a good guy and a good, good guy in the industry, as well as far as his skill set. So talk about these two guys. So I think this is a dynamite matchup, uh, as far as in-ring ability, technical skills. Uh, I'm a, I was also a huge fan of Dean Malenko. I thought the version of the horseman that he was in was very good. I loved, uh, you know, he and Benoit being in the Horsemen together. I thought it was a great choice. Uh, the only thing that held Malenko back is he was not flashy enough, and his promos weren't great. 
So I think that kind of held Malenko back as far as getting more success. But he was the man of a thousand holds, uh, and I agree with that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and make a lot of people mad right now. I think Malenko was actually a better technical wrestler than Bret Hart. That that's my opinion. But with that being said, I think Owen Hart was a good technical wrestler and his promos were good and he drew a lot of heat uh, as a heel. And I think, man, I hate it, but I think Owen Hart goes over uh, Malenko right here. You say you're going Owen Hart over Malenko? Yeah. All right. You know, I, it's hard to disagree. I mean, for me, it's one of these that are that are a toss-up. I, I, I can't make a, a huge argument to say Malenko deserves to be o- over Owen Hart. Just, I mean, I, I think if I was picking, I'd, I'd pick, I'd probably pick Dean Malenko as a fan. But I just think this is a toss-up. So we'll go with your pick of Owen Hart. Yeah, my heart is is Malenko. Let's get that straight. I'm more of a Malenko fan, but I think that Owen drew more heat and had better promos and overall had better crowd reaction. Well, hey, you know, you got the the outside interference card right now. You could you could play it. You could play it. You could have you could have a Benoit or a Eddie Guerrero, one of the, the stable members, or a Malenko was a horseman. You could have Mongo McMichael, who's wasn't in our bracket. He could come in and interfere here. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on to that one. <laughs> Hang on. All right. Next matchup, uh, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase versus Jesse the Body Ventura. I think this would be a really fun match. I think, um, obviously, with Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase was one of the great, great wrestlers of this period. And for those who aren't weren't familiar with his work before he became the Million Dollar Man in WWF, he was a major star in Mid-South and even the Georgia Championship Wrestling era. I mean... Uh, great on the mic, um, but a very good overall technical wrestler. I mean, he had some great matches with Ric Flair and the Junkyard Dog um, down in Mid-South. He'd go against the Freebirds. I mean, he could really match up with anybody. Um, Just a really, really good wrestler. And when he got to the WWF, I mean, he was obviously very good as as the Million Dollar Man, but but he was a better wrestler back in those Mid-South days as far as in the ring, but that kind of goes to the point of WWF more is more the, the kind of the carnival act wrestling rather than the technical stuff that you would see more in the NWA territory. And to talk about Jesse, the body, I mean, there, there was hardly anybody who could compete with him on the mic. Um, you know, he was up there with uh, Piper and all, all the greats, but DiBiase was good in that too. But the body, man, he just made things cool. It seemed like in the the early eighties. I mean, he was a heel, but you wanted to root for Jesse the body. And then once he had to end his career due to to injury, he had uh, like lung issues and stuff. I mean, his work as a as the analyst with Gorilla Monsoon and uh, uh, Vince McMahon, it, there wasn't anybody any better than Jesse the body. So talk about this matchup and these two guys. I think this is a a awesome match. I would pay to see it. Uh, the body, if you go back and watch a lot of his uh, career, was in AWA. I mean, he was not a super fantastic wrestler, but he put butts in seats because people loved to hate him and and things like that. And uh, I, he had a great look. And, of course, what you said, a mouthpiece. He, he could talk as good or better than anybody uh, that we've mentioned. I think Ted DiBiase goes over here, but I think this is a great match. 
And I agree, uh, McMahon tempered uh, uh, DiBiase's wrestling style down when he came to WWF. And I think you'll notice that from a lot of people back in that era. They had a completely different wrestling style in the company that they were working for than what they had when they came to WWF. And they kind of had to fit that mold of a WWF match. Uh, I, I'm not sure what that was completely about, but even Ric Flair, when he came over in the, what what was it, 91, that kind of tempered him down a little bit too versus what he was doing over in NWA, WCW, which is a shame. But uh, Ted DiBiase, for his significance in Mid-South and as a heel, as Million Dollar Man, I don't think anybody drew more heat at the time than the Million Dollar Man. Uh, the whole debacle where he paid off uh, Hebner's twin brother referee to come in and give Andre the giant, the pin over Hogan and Andre handed him the belt, man, the wrestling world went crazy that night. So, uh, Ted DiBiase goes over here, but it's a very good match. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So we're moving Ted DiBiase along in that matchup. All right, boy, this next one. Oh my word. What a matchup. Eddie Guerrero versus the dynamite kid. I mean, when you talk about, you know, as far as like mat technicians, um, you know, it's it's hard to beat these guys right here. I mean, we've got we got a lot of good mat technicians here that I've mentioned, but uh, these two are are up there for sure. You know, I'll be honest, I was not as huge of an Eddie Guerrero fan um, when he first came up, but he grew on me. Um, a tremendous wrestler, could do all the aerial things. Um, you know, he brought the Latino heat. So he was a big fan for the the Latin fans out there. Um, and then Dynamite Kid, I mean, really, the Dynamite Kid was such an inspiration to a lot of these Canadian wrestlers and a lot of the smaller wrestlers out there, like the Chris Jerichos and the Bret Harts and, uh, you know, the, the Chris Benoit's out there. I mean, just a significant um, part of wrestling. I guess in my take on this, I'd, I'd probably give the edge – to Eddie Guerrero just from an overall longevity standpoint because Dynamite Kid had started to uh, – he got more injury prone in the late 80s, so that was a reason why – part of it, the reason why the Bulldogs lost that title to the Hart Foundation. But, um, you know, he was a, a great tag team guy, but he really started to have more injuries, uh, and he didn't have much of a career in the 90s, I, I don't think, whereas Eddie really picked up in that – that uh, that '90s period and was super hot even into the 2000s. So I think I'd give a slight edge to Eddie Guerrero. But what's your take? I'm I'm in agreement with you. I love both characters, but uh, as you stated, Dynamite just did not have a a really long career. And I'm sure you know he he was in the business before he got to WWF, and you know before we were able to really see him and and things like that. And he probably accomplished a few things before. He got to WWF, but he did not get the notoriety and the the global uh, uh, popularity that Eddie Guerrero had. I mean, Eddie was popular in in Mexico. Let, let's just give it credit where credit's due. He was well-known there. The whole family was well-known there, and they were already making uh, strides to be known in the United States. And then he came over to ECW. He had a, a good pop there uh, with Paul E. Paul E. was a genius with pulling people in like that. Uh, you know, uh, even Benoit came over to ECW for a while before they uh, trekked over to the WCW rankings. And Eddie was a, a tremendous part of the Monday Night Wars on the WCW end 
uh, with the cruiserweights and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people speak negatively of WCW because that's in vogue now, but they, you know, they were marks back when it was happening. Uh, the cruiserweight division was amazing in WCW and Eddie Guerrero was at the top of the tier on that. And he was pushing that. So, and then of course, Guerrero is world champion in WWF when he comes over WWE and had a good run over there. So I'm giving credit where credit's due. It's, it's Eddie. He goes over here, but that matchup would be insane. I agree. All right. So we're moving Eddie Guerrero along. Um, one thing for the fans out there that, um, just as far as matchups that you should check out if you haven't seen it before. One of the really important feuds in um, the, I guess, the light heavyweight battle was um, the Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask over in Japan. Because the Bulldogs, they did a lot of wrestling over in Japan, and they were actually doing that before they came over to uh, to WWF. But Google those matches with Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask because when you hear guys like Chris Jericho and some of these, uh, you know, Chris Benoit and some of these uh, modern wrestlers of today, when they talk about matches that really were really inspirational to them and got them into wrestling, that series of matches with Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask is always mentioned. So definitely check that out. And one thing I just want to mention about Eddie Guerrero as well is, you know, he was really very popular over in Japan. Uh, so it's very funny that a lot of these smaller guys, you know, they go over in Japan, build their, their skills and training, get really popular. Then they come over here and then it, um, they, they become a big success as well. So that Japan wrestling is a very important influence on the wrestling in the United States. Yes, it is. All right. Our next matchup. Wow. Another, see all the first round matchups in, in, in this bracket are just, they're amazing matches. You got Benoit versus Taz in a battle of suplexes. There are going to be a lot of German suplexes in this matchup for sure. So, what's your take up on Benoit or take on Benoit versus Taz? This matchup is dynamite, and I'm just going to say right now, I was a Taz Mark in ECW. I loved him. He was in my top three ECW guys for sure, if not maybe number one at times. I loved Taz. I loved his character. I thought he was a just a sawed-off monster. Uh, he could suplex anybody. I, I loved his matchups with Bam Bam Bigelow. They had a great, great pay-per-view matchup. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. Uh, Taz actually suplexes him off of the ramp into the chairs uh, in the crowd. It's pretty pretty crazy. Uh, I, I love it. I, I think that if it was booked in ECW, Heyman puts Taz over. If it's booked in WCW, Benoit goes over, or WWE, Benoit goes over. But uh, I, I love this matchup. But as far as accomplishments and significance, I think Benoit goes over. But I, I'm telling you, it's it's a good match. And if it's in the ECW arena, Taz goes over. Now, Benoit was in WC or ECW for a while, like in 95 and 96. Did they have battles? I think that they possibly matched up when Taz was called the Tasmaniac. It was before he really got the big push as Taz. And uh, Benoit, well, it, you may or may not know this, Ben, but uh, Benoit was responsible for breaking Sabu's neck. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, that's not a that's not kayfabe. That really happened. They they did a move, and uh, Sabu did not rotate in the air like he should have, and came straight down on his head and broke his neck and put him out for a while. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I, I know it'd be a wild matchup because, I mean, you talk about intensity. 
it doesn't get more intense than Chris Benoit in the ring. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I really liked Taz in ECW. He was also one of my favorite stars. I thought he was really good. And I, I was hopeful he was going to have a better career in um, WWF, but he ended up having some injury problems. But I agree with you. I would go with Benoit in this matchup. I, I just think overall he's a better wrestler and was more uh, significant from a, a title standpoint, but it would be a great one. So we're moving along, uh, Chris Benoit. All right, next matchup. Keeping it with uh, some guys with ECW history here. Chris Jericho versus the franchise Shane Douglas. So what's your take on this matchup? Corazon de Leon, the Lionheart, Le Champion. I, the list goes on and on. Y2J. Uh, I mean, this dude has more accolades and more titles and more names than any 10 wrestlers on here. However, Shane Douglas in ECW was the man and he called himself the franchise. And let me, let me put the record straight. He was the franchise over there and he was a great heel champion. And Paul Heyman knew what he was doing when he put the strap on this guy, uh, as Dean Douglas and things like that, it was kind of a failed thing, but can you blame him? Not necessarily because McMahon liked to strap people with gimmicks that didn't necessarily work. Uh, I think Douglas does not get the credit he deserves. He he was a stud in ECW. Now, with that in mind, Jericho was a stud in Mexico, Japan, ECW, WCW, WWE, etc., AEW. So with the accomplishments and the accolades and the recreation of themselves, which I love, and I've alluded to that in previous episodes, Jericho goes over here. But if it's booked in ECW, it would be a knockdown, drag out fight. It would have been a good, good matchup back in the mid to late nineties. Uh, but Jericho's just too good. He just, he's just too creative, too good on the mic, too good in the ring. I mean, he's he's the whole package, uh, and still going. And he's darn near fifty years old and still carrying AEW. So Jericho goes over for sure. I agree. Uh, I think Jericho definitely goes over. And, you know, we are evaluating guys in the 80s and 90s, but even in the 80s and 90s, I mean, Jericho was so significant in that um, that middleweight light or light heavyweight championship. I mean, those battles with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko and Benoit, I mean, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Oh, yeah. Ray, Ray Mysterio. You got Rob Van Dam in there. I mean, it's just a, a an amazing tree, uh, group of guys in there. And I agree with that Jericho goes over, but I tell you what, you hit the nail on the head with Shane Douglas. He was really a really good wrestler once he got out of that uh, dynamic dudes setup that was just a a, a train wreck, right? Um, but I mean, he was tough, wasn't it? Francine, who was his um, valet? Yes, Francine with the, with the franchise. Man, what a couple! They they were great. Yeah. So. I mean, just an amazing matchup, but I agree. I, I just don't think you can pick Jericho to lose this matchup, and I don't want to be called a stupid idiot by <laughs> Jericho. So, Well, Jericho, a lot of times, if you'll listen to him talk, he, he kind of craps on his uh, WCW career, and actually that's where I came to love him. I think some of his best work was in WCW, man, when he didn't have the, the uh, gold to, you know, the pressure of the gold. He was just a, a wrestler coming out and, and – uh, you know, making fun of people on the mic and get drawing heat and things like that. I thought some of his WCW work was genius. So I'm just giving that shout out to Jericho. I think he needs to rethink uh, what he says about the WCW time that he was in. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I really liked his lion tamer, and I, I thought those matches he had with Eddie Guerrero and Benoit and you know all those light heavyweights, Malenko, I, I, I think that was as good as of, of a match as Jericho produced. And the thing about with Jericho is, you know, I was looking at his ranking compared to some of these other guys, and he rarely gets a bad star rating by Dave Meltzer from Wrestling Observer. I mean, so when you look at Jericho, he's like an overall great wrestler because he delivers in the ring with the technical skills. He delivers on the mic with the promos and the psychology. Um, So it's just been an amazing career for Jericho. So we're moving Jericho over Shane Douglas. Next matchup. This is a matchup I wish I could have seen. I don't know if they had it maybe in the early 80s in the territories or not. But, I mean, two guys who had charisma who were just amazing at getting heat, and that's Rowdy Roddy Piper and Gino Hernandez. And I know for the casual wrestling fan, they're going to hear that, and they're going to be like, well, obviously Roddy Roddy Piper is going to go over here because they may not know uh, that much about Gino Hernandez. But let me tell you, you need to go back and watch some of those WCW uh, world-class matches with Gino Hernandez versus Yvonne Erickson when he was paired up with Chris Adams or even going against Chris Adams. I mean, the stories that you hear about Gino Hernandez going into territories and basically getting riots from fans because of the heat that he could generate is just, it's the stuff of legends. And he's one of these guys that, you know, he died early because he got messed up with the wrong people um, as far as, um, you know, drugs or, or different things going on. And basically, you know, he, he messed with the wrong people, but man, he was good. I mean, he was almost just like an ideal wrestler for that eighties time. And he's very, very similar to Roddy Roddy Piper, both in look and build and attitude. And of course the legend of Roddy Piper, I mean, you're talking one of the greatest heels in the history of wrestling. One of the greatest talkers with getting heat for WrestleMania for, uh, for Hulk Hogan and Piper's pit and his battles with Jimmy Superfly Snuka and hitting him over the head with a coconut. I mean, there weren't people, nobody was hated more than Rowdy Roddy Piper. And of course his legendary dog collar match with our buddy, Greg, the hammer Valentine is one of the most epic wrestling matches ever. And then he, of course he takes some time off, goes to the movie, uh, do movies and comes back as a face battles with Adrian Adonis in WrestleMania three. I mean, you know, Piper is this guy that he's a, a chameleon. He he's a, a great face. He's a great heel. He gets people over. I mean, the only flaw I would say with Piper as a wrestler is the fact that he wasn't as technically skilled. But yet again, that goes back to the comment we made earlier about with WWF at the time. Their matches in the '80s it was more of a carnival thing. It was not these classic Broadway beauty wrestling. Uh, classics that you would see with a Ric Flair versus a, a Ricky Steamboat in NWA or WCW. So it's it's very interesting when you have this debate over Roddy Piper and Gino Hernandez. So what's your take on this? So I'm, I'm angry with you right now because you stole my thunder on the fact that these guys were very similar. I was going to make that point and drive it home about them being the same size and, and all that. I think that this matchup would have been money anywhere that you put it in the world, because both of these guys were great heels. Gino Hernandez played a little bit more on the side of the, of being the pretty boy, uh, bad boy. You know, he always showed up in his sunglasses and his Corvette and <laughs> things like that. And I, and I liked hearing him talk 
just as much almost as as Piper. And with these guys both being in that what 230 to 235 pound range, uh, the matchup would have been dynamite with these two. And I don't think that it ever happened uh, in the territory days, but I think that it would have been just amazing to see these guys go at it. And the buildup for the feud would have been top notch. I mean, and no matter what territory they were in. So as far as significance goes though, and longevity goes and you know, significance to the business overall, I'm going with Piper in a very good matchup though. This matchup would be one that I, out of all these matchups, this would be probably one of the top 10. So, uh, very good match, very good booking by my friend Ben here. Uh, but Piper goes over in my opinion. I, I agree with that, but man, and you know, I, I wanted to pair these guys up in the, in the first round, because as you go through the brackets, I mean, I don't know if we would have had this matchup in the, in the second round, but right. Um, you know, it depend on who you're going against Gino Hernandez, but I mean, gosh, I, I just can't say enough how good Gino Hernandez was. Um, it's just a shame that his career ended. And, you know, when they talk about the, um, the, the dark side of wrestling with Gino Hernandez, I mean, that was a great episode, but good you show, good about, show. You, when you talk about world-class and all the, I guess, kind of curses that started to happen with world-class in the mid eighties, I mean, with David Von Erich dying and then it wasn't long until Gino Hernandez died and then Kerry Von Erich's in the motorcycle wreck. So, I mean, you're their top star is out for a significant period of time i mean the loss of gino hernandez on world class was major and i just think that you know a lot of wrestling fans if you grew up and you're just used to watching wwf on usa or um you know nwa world uh, world championship wrestling you may not know about gino hernandez but he was that good um, but that being said i would not put him over piper just because of the longevity and because if you didn't have a heel like Piper, I mean, I don't know that WrestleMania would have been the success it was because, I mean, he was so good at just the, the heel energy and everything. And I watched WrestleMania 1 last week, and it was like that matchup with him and uh, uh, with Piper and, and Orndorff versus Hogan and T, it wasn't a classic matchup. But I tell you what, Piper did his job to help get Mr. T through and, you know, sold for Mr. T and I thought Mr. T gave a pretty good performance there. And, and, and that's important that people don't realize how important it is for you to be able to sell for the other guy. Right. And get that heat. So, all right. So Roddy Piper goes over what a matchup though. All right. So our second round matchup begins with Bret Hart versus Tommy Rich. What's your take on that matchup? So for the man, if it's booked in the, in the Memphis territory or the Georgia territory, it could go either way. But overall, I think uh, for world notoriety and accomplishments and technical wrestling, I mean, and Hart was really earlier on. He what he sucked on the mic. I'm just going to be plain and simple about it. But later on, he developed it, Uh, you know, so later on in his career, he actually became decent on the mic. So overall, I think Bret Hart's more of the total package. Uh, You know, he had the look. He was in shape. He could go the the thirty to sixty minutes and and not be boring. He he was a chain wrestler or a brawler. Uh, tag team success. Uh, Bret Hart goes over. Like I said, though, if it's booked in Georgia or or maybe uh, Memphis, it goes the other way. But uh, overall, I think Bret Hart goes over here. 
I agree. I, I think Bret Hart goes over regardless of where it's booked just because really when Tommy Rich left Georgia Championship Wrestling, he was always just a mid-card guy um, and never really a, a big star, you know, good for tag teams, things like that. I, I think Bret Hart's look would um, was just a better look um, after, after Tommy Rich left Georgia Championship Wrestling. And overall, though, the wrestling in this match would be fantastic because Tommy Rich was a really good mat wrestler even when he was in um, uh, the Memphis Territory. So I think from a wrestling standpoint, it'd be a really, really good match. But I just agree with you. Bret Hart was just too significantly important in the 80s and 90s with his titles um, as a singles to, to put Tommy Rich over. So we're going with Bret Hart. All right, next matchup. This is a. I think this would be a really good matchup with Owen Hart and uh, Ted DiBiase. I guess I'll take the lead on this. I I would go with Ted DiBiase just because I think Ted DiBiase was as good a technical wrestler as Owen Hart. Even though Owen Hart was a fantastic technical wrestler, I think Ted DiBiase was just overall uh, a more significant wrestler in the period of eighties and nineties, in large part to his work in the Mid South Territory um, and uh, Mid Atlantic and in Georgia, he, he was just really, really good. I mean, and that's the thing a lot of people just don't realize about Ted DiBiase is how good he was before he got to the WWF. But, um, but I do think it'd be a really good matchup because Owen was really solid in the ring. Um, you know, he's was good on the mic, but I just think Ted DiBiase goes over. What's your take on this matchup? This one's fairly easy for me. I'm, I'm putting DiBiase over, uh, the heat, just the sheer heat he drew as million dollar man, excluding the the fantastic work that he did in in mid-south and georgia and and the other territories uh just the sheer heat he drew his million dollar man puts him over for me but then you add all that other body of work and and it just uh puts the exclamation point on it it's ted dibiase pretty pretty easily for me all right so we move ted dibiase along in this matchup all right next matchup second round eddie guerrero versus chris benoit the battle of two real best friends in real life and allies many times in the ring. Boy, you're going to have a fantastic match here. I mean, two guys that could really go at it from a technical standpoint, you know, even though um, they were smaller. I mean, Eddie Guerrero was only 5'8", but I mean, you know, good good physique, good power. Both of them could do the aerial. Uh, what's your take up on this matchup with uh, Eddie versus Benoit? This match happened, I think, in ECW. I think it happened in WCW. Uh, they burned the house down every time they they locked up. Super good athletes, super good storytelling in the ring. Uh, you know, as you said, they were best friends outside the ring, uh, and they were even a tag team together. I think in in ECW for a short time. Very good, man. I mean, there's no, I can't pick uh, on this one. Uh, I think you do the time limit draw or or maybe uh, outside interference or, or double disqualification or something here. I, I don't think you can pick a winner. Yeah, I, I think what we're going to do is this. I mean, if I had to pick, I would pick Benoit. But I think it's appropriate, based on the history with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and their wrestling career, I, I like the idea of a time limit draw. If I was a booker for this, I would book this to be a 30-minute or a 60-minute Broadway that's a time limit draw. And that way the winner – ends up being the fans because I think the wrestling in that ring would be amazing. I mean, these guys had tremendous um, charisma and energy in the ring. And I, I just think probably they would like to have it in that way as well, because 
For those who have not seen the episode of Dark Side of the Ring with about Chris Benoit, you should definitely check it out. It's a two-part series. I honestly, I was watch. I started watching it on Monday, and like Raw was on, and I completely tuned out of Raw. And I was watching. I was just captivated by this episode, and it was like two hours. And I didn't realize how um, close Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit were as friends in real life. And when Eddie Guerrero died in two thousand, I think it was five, from. Um, the heart failure that, I mean, it had a major impact on Chris Benoit and it changed his emotional state. And as we know, things went downhill for Benoit after that. So I just think as a testament to their friendship and career, we're going to go with a, a, a 60 minute, we'll go 60 minute time limit draw in this matchup. Before we transition into our second round matchup with uh, Jericho and Piper, I do want to talk about um, uh, a valet that was a very important part of uh, Benoit's uh, career and really in wrestling. And that, that was woman. Um, you know, we're not going to go into the details of uh, how things ended for her, but I do want to focus on her wrestling career because she made an appearance in WCW NWA in the late eighties as Robin green. And she came in as she was the wife at the time of Kevin Sullivan. And, you know, they were hugely popular down in, in Florida with Kevin Sullivan's uh, devil theme and, you know, satanic theme and stuff, which is all kayfabe. But I mean, it really got over in Florida, but she came and became a love interest of Rick Steiner. And then all of a sudden became woman who led doom, one of our favorite tag teams. And uh, then transitioned from that to being with Ric Flair and just a, you know, a a real important part of wrestling. So talk about um, the impact that woman had on wrestling in the eighties and nineties. Woman was a great uh, valet. I, I loved her as with Rick Steiner uh, early on. I thought that was a good storyline. I thought she did great with Doom. Uh, she was uh, one of the a good looking valet that had a, a bad temperament that would get in there and, and uh, interfere in the match in a heartbeat and could uh, turn the tables on any match. I thought she was very significant, especially on the WCW NWA side. Uh, when she went with the horseman, that was a great story. She was one of the horseman uh, valets that was with Flair and Benoit and uh, Malenko and uh, Arn Anderson. I, it, very good version of the horseman. I love that version of the horseman. Uh, I I can't say enough. I thought her contributions to the the wrestling business were were very good. And she was not one that that actually got in there and wrestled, but she had an impact on every match that she was involved in. So I, I think Nancy had a very good uh, impact on the business and, you know, God rest her soul. Agreed. All right. So I just wanted to take a moment to recognize woman because she was very, very important to wrestling in the eighties and nineties. And, uh, you know, just wanted to give her some praise. All right. So our next uh, second round matchup is a, uh, an all time classic. You've got Jericho versus Roddy Piper. Wow. All right. So what, what's your take on this matchup? <laughs> I love it. It's two of the, <laughs> biggest mouth runners on the mic. I mean, these two guys promos leading up to this match would be insane. I, I I don't know that there would be any better promo out there or, or build up to a feud than these two guys right here. Cause Jericho can draw heat and people love to hate him or they love him, you know, regardless. And Piper was the same way. And Piper's famous line was don't throw rocks at a man with a machine gun. Well, he was talking about his mouth. 
Piper has a machine gun for a mouth or had a machine gun for a mouth. And uh, just the, the heat that these two would draw would be insane. And Piper drew heat wherever he went back in the day. I mean, Piper had already had a pretty good body of work before he came into the WWF in the early 80s. Uh, you know, you alluded to the dog collar match with Greg Valentine and and things like that. And Piper and Flair were actually like really good friends. And uh, <clears throat> Piper and Flair went down. There's a story out there. You need to check it out. Flair tells it. I think it's on YouTube about the heat that they drew when they went to uh, South America. Uh, and and uh, Flair went down there with the gold and took Piper with him. And the heat was drawn mostly by Piper <laughs> because as goofy as he was, he wasn't scared of anybody. And he like come out waving the American flag and, and all kinds of stuff in South America and just there was literally a riot. They had to leave the belt in the ring and run out of the ring at the end of the match. So that's what kind of heat Piper would draw. And he wasn't scared to do it. The man had been stabbed, uh, threatened all kinds of stuff in his career. But I think overall for, for longevity and accomplishments, you got to put Jericho over here. Uh, but I think this match is just fantastic and it draws money anywhere from the Western hemisphere to the Eastern hemisphere. Uh, you know, Anywhere in the world, these guys are drawing money. No, I, I agree. Um, I agree with Jericho as well, just because to me, I think overall, Jericho's career, he's been consistently good from when he first arrived in, on the scene, in my opinion, when I first saw him, like in ECW and then WCW, to his time in WWF and now, or WWE, and now in AEW. I think that. His wrestling matches are always good from a technical standpoint. So he, I mean, he can play the gimmick role, but he can also deliver in the ring. And that's one thing that when I was evaluating this matchup, you know, for all the greatness of Rowdy Roddy Piper on the mic, getting heat, selling tickets, selling merchandise, you know, he, he was not the best technical wrestler because his style, his style was more the brawling and the kicking. Now he could give a good technical match like that. That match with him and Bret Hart at WrestleMania was a good one, but it's just with Jericho to be able to do the 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 lion salt or you know his moon salt and all the different moves and stuff. I just think he brought a different uh, package to it, and they're both great on the mic. So I, I agree. We'll move La Champion Chris Jericho over Roddy Piper which may start a riot with some of our fans. but Well, and there there is a significance that we need to bring up here. Uh, we're talking 80s and 90s. So Piper did have a lot of heat in the 80s especially, and his accomplishment in the 80s were good, and Jericho was still kind of a young guy, but Jericho did come over to WWE and get that major push right at the end of the 90s. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I think, I think the thing with Piper for me – is when I was looking at those matches and, you know, he had some dud matches in the, the late 90s. He did. In WCW. I mean, the matches that he had, like with Hulk Hogan for the title, the first one was pretty good, but, it, you know, they really weren't that great. And I can't really say that I've ever seen a Jericho match that wasn't technically sound or, or a good match in some form or fashion. Right. And... So that was critical for me when I was trying to be objective in this. So that's why I went with Jericho as well. So we have Chris Jericho moving on. So that means we're down to our final four here. 
where well, really as a final three, since we have a, a, a time limit draw between Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, we have Bret Hart versus Ted DiBiase in the next matchup. So what's your take on that? So uh, let me just be clear. I was never a huge Bret Hart fan, except for with the Hart Foundation. I did not like him that much as a singles wrestler, but that's who McMahon chose to go with and to put the strap on. Uh, I thought that he carried it decent. Uh, I do not did not think he was a superstar, but I think just the fact that he had the company on his back for that time period there, uh, you got to give it to him over Ted DiBiase, but I like Ted DiBiase's character better than Bret Hart. I know that's not a popular opinion. I don't care. Uh, but regardless, in the bracket for, for the business, I think Bret Hart goes over. But uh, my personal opinion, I like Ted DiBiase's character better. Well, I mean, you want to you want to take Ted over Brett? Because here's the thing: even if I pick Bret Hart, you've got the challenge. You've got the outside interference challenge that you can use before I can use mine. I think I am going to go with that here. I know it's not going to be popular because there's a lot of Bret Hart marks, but I think I'm going to do that. I think Virgil comes out and interferes and. Uh, we can put Ted over. I, I just like Ted better than Brett. All right. Well, I guess to defend the pick, at least on my end, Ted DiBiase, like we've mentioned earlier, he was a major, major star down in that Mid-South area, U, UA, uh, WF yep. and territories. I mean, a really significant major draw. Um, he's in all these Hall of Fames when they talk about great wrestling matches and things like that. So it's not like we're – you know, putting him Bret Hart um, to lose to somebody who's not significant. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with the pick. Uh, I maybe for modern history may have gone with Bret the Hitman Hart, but you know, Ted DiBiase was significant in the world of wrestling. So, removing Ted DiBiase along that moves him into a matchup of Jericho and Ted DiBiase. What, what's your take on that? Because that that's another one where you look at Jericho and Ted DiBiase. Honestly, you can make an argument that's a really better a better matchup than Jericho versus Bret Hart as far as on uh, the promo stuff. Uh, both Ted and Bret Hart are technically sound in the ring, so the Jericho can match that. Um, is it's a pretty interesting matchup if you think about it. What, what's your take on this? I think like a late '90s uh, Jericho versus a late '80s DiBiase is money. <clears throat> the build-up to that matchup, uh, and, and Ted DiBiase was sharp on the mic. He drew heat, especially as Million Dollar Man. Uh, everybody loved to hate him, right? He bought his way into the championship. Uh, he ticked off probably eighty percent of the wrestling world <clears throat> as far as fans go. Uh, and he's technically sound. I think that match, he and Jericho would have a dynamite 20 to 30 minute match. Uh, Ted DiBiase didn't have the best <clears throat> physique in the world, but Ted DiBiase was in shape. It, it's one of those weird phenomenons where he, I mean, he wasn't fat or anything like that by any means, but he did not have a lot of muscle tone, but he could go in the ring. And I think he and Jericho would tear it up. I think they would be a good matchup. Technically sound. Jericho would pull out some high flying moves. <clears throat> DiBiase would pull out some uh, sleeper holds and, and things like that and then have the X factor of of uh, Virgil outside. I think it's a dynamite match. I think it makes it draws money anywhere you go. But I do put Jericho over for Jericho's accomplishments in the late mid to late 90s. 
Yeah, interesting, interesting take on that. I think overall, if you're talking um, career too, I mean longevity, you're probably going to go with Jericho as well. So that that's just I really think that would be a, a great matchup though, because I mean Jericho. Some people really they just don't appreciate how great Jericho is, because you know we've talked about on this podcast before about how. We gave him our wrestler of the year for, for 2019 for all of his work in AEW, helping it get over. Uh, and the guy's 48, 49 years old, and he's still giving good matches. Um, he's great on the mic. His chemistry is helping guy, get guys over in AEW. But I still think his work uh, in those late 90s were, was really, in my opinion, his best wrestling work. Now, his best um, – Promo work, I mean, it's hard to beat what, when he was doing the list with Chris uh, Kevin Owens. I think that was amazing. Right. But that late 90s Jericho, you know, in the line tamer look and everything, it was hard to beat. So so we got La Champion moving on here. Jericho over Ted DiBiase. So that means we have three entrants in the final four. Top half of the bracket – you have to be a blonde to be in it. That's Ric Flair and Chris Jericho. <laughs> Bottom half, we have Randy Savage and To Be Determined. So let's head into this next bracket. Uh, first matchup, Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels versus Sabu. Two guys known for their, their kicks. So, you know, a lot of people know about Shawn Michaels and, you know, definitely talk about him and his greatness. I mean, one of the um, really great wrestlers in, in history. I mean, a lot of people didn't necessarily like his attitude. You could you hear stories about him being difficult uh, in the early to mid two thousands backstage uh, and even in the nineties as being very difficult. Um, but Sabu was this wild wild guy in ECW that a lot of people may not know about. So talk about him first, and then go into Shawn Michaels. So first and foremost, if you've never seen a Sabu matchup, especially in the ECW uh, organization. Treat yourself, go back and watch that, but be prepared for some crazy, wild, violent action. This guy is, a lot of people, man, that it cracks me up, and I'm a Mick Foley fan, all right? I love the guy. I, I, I really do, and I really liked his work as Cactus Jack, but a lot of people want to say, oh, Mick Foley's the hardcore king, blah, blah, blah. Man, Mick Foley couldn't help hold a candle to this guy, okay? Sabu is the extreme extreme hardcore guy and i don't know that even terry funk could match up with the extreme uh capabilities of sabu this guy was so wild and so uncontrollable even in like take kayfabe out of it nobody could control him the guy smoked weed in the locker room before the match uh he never stayed for very long in any territory strictly because he was just so uncontrollable and he did it his way regardless uh yeah, Sabu did some time in WCW. I think he even did some time in WWF for a short stint when they did the watered-down version of ECW over there. And, of course, uh, they didn't put him over like they should have, and uh, they watered his matches down. But Sabu, as far as success success of ECW and, and helping Paul Heyman get that company off the ground, he was instrumental in that. And uh, he started out as a tag team guy with, with Taz. 
when Taz was called the the Tasmaniac or whatever before he really got uh, known, and that was when Taz was still going around barefoot. The tag team work with Sabu and Rob Van Dam is amazing. Go back and watch that. Then the uh, subsequent feud between Sabu and Rob Van Dam was off the charts. Uh, just complete action, nonstop action. They didn't stop and talk, and they didn't do all that crap, and they didn't take powders and and things like you might see in WWE or or even WCW. These guys went at it like it was a a real fight. And I, I'm just a huge Sabu mark. Uh, he and Taz are in my top three of of ECW of all time. With that being said, uh, that's the history of Sabu. He's he's great. He's the nephew of the original Sheik, etc. A lot of, lot of lineage there, a lot of history there. But uh, Michaels goes over with the accomplishments that he made, but I want to make it clear, I'm not a big Michaels fan. But in this matchup, just because of his accomplishments and notoriety, he goes over. All right. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that with, with Shawn Michaels. I I just think Shawn Michaels, he his body of work is pretty amazing. I mean, I went back and watched some of his matches. That latter match with Razor Ramon was a good one. I remember seeing him versus Undertaker in those Hell in the Cell matches. I actually went to a live one, and I mean it's pretty amazing what he was able to do as as a smaller guy. Um, you know, good on the mic. Um, I mean, the Montreal Screw Job match with Bret Hart was a wild one, and you know we'll, we'll may have to get into that in a another podcast since we don't have the matchup. Which I, I thought I thought we might have a matchup of Bret Hart um, and Shawn Michaels in this, but we were not going to have that, but. The bottom line is he was he, he was money. He could go with the smaller guys and the big guys. Um, I thought he was good on the mic, but Sabu was – I mean, he was amazing as well. But I agree, we got to put Shawn Michaels over, so we'll move him along. Next matchup, uh, Chris Adams versus Jeff Jarrett. So, you know, we talked about Gino Hernandez, and the other half of that dynamic duo was Chris Adams in world class. And let me tell you – Chris Adams was an amazing wrestler in world class. I mean, he was very important to that territory. He was a, a great heel with Gino Hernandez and then eventually had a, a very violent feud with uh, with Kevin Von Erich in the mid-80s and then turned face and became super popular. But, I mean, a tremendous wrestler both here and in England, had a, the great super kick, um, good solid wrestler. I don't think he was ever in world championship wrestling. I know he wasn't in WWF, so a lot of mainstream people may not be aware of him as much and of course Jeff Jarrett um you know got a start in Memphis with his dad Jerry being the promoter and was popular in the late 80s working with Jerry Lawler and he even had some pairings with Kerry Von Erich as a good mid-card guy and then when he got over to WCW after USWA sort of folded I mean he became a really big star in WCW and WWF and surprisingly turned into a heel and you know known as J E double F J A double R E double T. That's me, Jeff Jarrett. So, really good matchup here of guys who I'm sure faced off against each other in world class and USWA. But uh, what's your take on this matchup? So, let me preface this with Chris Adams did do time in WCW and he did do a light stint uh, in WWF where he held like a light heavyweight. Uh, championship there for for a small time and he was in uwa which a lot of people may not uh realize all of his uh time in different different areas uh jeff jarrett man 
you know, I live in Tennessee. He is a local guy. I, I love his accomplishments. He, Jeff Jarrett is a, a, the epitome of overachiever. Okay. Because he was not a good wrestler. He was not big to me. I think he overachieved by starting his own company, TNA, which became the number two company in the world. For a lot of you guys that never watched it, you need to go back and catch some of that between like 05 and, and 2012. I think there was a lot of good, good stuff going on there. Uh, with that being said, I just, I never was a Jarrett fan. I just never could put him over in my own mind. And they tried to make him part of the horseman. I think that was one of the worst versions. He should have never been a part of that. Uh, man, I, I, I'm not trying to throw shade on Jarrett because I respect a lot of the stuff he did. And the fact that he kept going after the tragedy with his uh, uh, first wife and, and things like that, just big, big props to him for that. With that being said, Chris Adams goes over for me for uh, all of his work, but for another reason. Chris Adams is instrumental in breaking Stone Cold, stunning Steve Austin at the time, actually, into the business and training him and, and showing him the ropes early on in his career. So if you didn't have a Chris Adams, you don't have a Stone Cold Steve Austin. And if you listen to Stone Cold, he talks very, very highly of Chris Adams in the WCCW days. So I'm putting Chris Adams in the upset over Jeff Jarrett. All right. Well, I'm going to support that because I, I just like Chris Adams better than Jeff Jarrett. And I do think Chris Adams was a, I mean, a really great wrestler. And I, I was also not really a big fan of Jeff Jarrett. So I think he's very, he was very good, but I, I just did not like that heel character of his. And, um, you know, honestly, when he was like, it was one of the main guys in WWF, it was just a real turnoff for me. So I'll support the upset. So we're going to have a second round matchup of the battle of the super kicks with Shawn Michaels versus Chris Adams. <laughs> I love it. All right. Next matchup. We got the Andersons, two of my favorites, Arn versus Ole. All right. So the mentor versus the protege. So who, who are you taking in Arn versus Ole? And I guess before we get to the decision, you know, talk about the importance of these guys in, into professional wrestling in the eighties because they were significant players. So Georgia championship wrestling was one of the most popular territories, uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, Ole owned it, ran it, booked it, you name it. He was instrumental in it. Uh, even once Georgia championship wrestling went away and it became the, uh, the Crockett promotion, uh, Arn and Ole known as the Minnesota wrecking crew in, in, significant players in the original four horsemen and arguably a lot of people think that's the best version the original version uh they were dynamite as a tag team uh specialist uh team i, I you can't say enough and i loved the old feuds where that version of the horsemen uh just for one example that where flair was battling luger and and only got a, a hold of the cage controls and, and got the horseman in the cage and lowered or in the ring and lowered the cage on them where they could beat the tar out of uh, Lex Luger and locked the cage up to where sting or nobody could get in i think i thought that was a fabulous moment in history uh it was true four horsemen uh evil 
you, you just can't beat that moment. And, you know, Arn and Ole just, they are synonymous with tag team wrestling. The, uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, I can't say enough. I'm going to go with Arn had more of a, a influence in the 80s and 90s because Arn's career lasted on up into the mid to late 90s before he got injured. And he, he had more of an impact on that time than Ole did. Ole in the late 70s, early 80s was absolutely synonymous with professional wrestling. But Arn for 80s and 90s, which is what we're really going with, goes over Ole here. I agree. I, I was a big fan of Arn Anderson, he, even as a heel. I thought he was amazing uh, with his intensity. Uh, I thought his promos were fantastic. And um, I, I agree with you on the reasoning because Ole really was kind of phasing out in the mid, mid-80s. And, and honestly, I just like Arn better. I think he was a little bit better in the ring. I loved his uh, his power slam. Um, I mean, that, that's just one of the iconic moves. Luckily, Carl Anderson um, keeps that in play today. But I, I just think Arn Anderson was a tremendous wrestler. I mean, numerous uh, time holder of the TV title. And I just think you got to move him on here as much as Ole did contribute to the business. So we're going with the horseman, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. He wasn't flashy, but he gave you 100% every night. All right, next matchup. Tully Blanchard versus Iceman King Parsons is a battle of two guys who had charisma and good moves in the ring. Of course, Tully, synonymous with Arn Anderson as being a part of the Four Horsemen with Ric Flair and some fourth member, whether it would be Ole, Barry Windham, or Lex Luger. And, you know, his his battles with Magnum TA and Dusty Rhodes over that TV title were just epic. Uh, and then Iceman Parsons was another big influence in uh, in world class. He was a very popular wrestler, good in the ring. Uh, also uh, very solid in UWF with Bill Watts. And, uh, you know, he, he turned on the Von Erichs, though he became a, a really good heel, actually. It was a really good heel. But I think it would be a really good matchup uh, between the two. I think I'd give the edge to Tully in this matchup, but I don't think it would be, I think it'd be a very good and close match. What's your take on this matchup? So if you go with overall notoriety and, and popularity, you, you, you give it to Tully, but I, I was actually going to go for another uh, uh, upset here because I don't think Tully without, let's say, okay, you know, Tully didn't travel alone. He always had a valet or had a, a horseman or somebody close. But I don't think Tully could handle the power of Iceman one on one. I think Iceman could have pulled the upset here, uh, and I was going to give WCCW some love. But Tully has a lot of four star, five star matches uh, in his repertoire before he screwed it up for himself. So I, I can go either way on this match. Uh, it, I'll go with your your pick on Tully. I can put him over just as easily. But I was going to go with another upset here. You know, the thing with Tully, I mean, one of the reasons why I picked him, I mean, I just, I really liked his charisma and style. I thought his promos were dynamite when he was a singles wrestler. But he's another guy that you look at, it, like him and the Magnum TAs we've talked. Well, I guess his is di- completely different than Magnum TA because Magnum had the accident. But, you know, there are a lot of wrestlers out there and you wonder, like, you know, what would have happened with, with their career? Because, I mean, they were g- coming back from WWF, going to go to, 
WCW, and of course, totally fails a drug test for, I guess, cocaine. And so then WCW Turner, they didn't want to hire him at that point, which, I mean, honestly, if you think about that, it's got to be a pretty weak reason because think of all the wrestlers doing drugs in that era. I mean, I, I don't know. That just didn't make sense. But, I mean, the, that was a hot tag team coming back that they lost. Um, and it really made – I think it made a, a big impact on WCW and starting to go down in the early 90s because that was another star that they didn't have. And, um, you know, after that, really totally he wasn't in any big promotions at that point. I think he did some small things like in Texas and and stuff, but uh, I kind of always wondered what would have been with Tully back in WCW with Arn in the the late eighties, early nineties. So I'm going to go conspiracy theory on this one. I'm a hundred percent agreeing that it was kind of a weak reason, knowing the drug use that was going on with everybody else. Uh, now there was the whole Vince McMahon thing around that time frame where he got busted for steroids and WWF really took a hit for, for that because everybody was coming out of the woodwork uh, talking about the drug use in the locker rooms and stuff. So maybe WCW was trying to protect uh, from that and from getting caught up in that. However, management in WCW NWA was trying their best to kill Ric Flair's character from, and you, you alluded to it earlier, like uh, two hours ago, maybe, or an hour and a half ago in this podcast. They were trying to kill Ric Flair, okay? It, you know, the character, that is. And I feel like that, if Tully came back, of course, there would have been a Horseman reunion, and it would have been three of the original Horsemen uh, reunited, and it would have been very, very hard to kill that momentum with the the fans because fans loved the Horsemen. They, even the people that were more marks for good guys still loved having that solid heel faction uh, there. And I think maybe they, and this is a conspiracy theory from me, I feel like maybe they did that move to keep Flair from gaining momentum again. Well, it makes some sense. Uh, you know, the thing that's interesting is at that time, that's when Turner had bought uh, wrestling. Right. And you hear all these stories about, well, the guys that were really running wrestling is from the business like Jim Hurd. They weren't wrestling guys. They were like corporate guys who, and they were looking at it as, as a business. Whereas I think if you had a promoter like a, um, oh gosh, um, Crockett and all that, you know, they, they've probably dealt with far worse than someone failing the drug test. Oh yeah. And, and I don't think, I mean, you, know, you hear about all the drug problems that other wrestlers had, and it's something like, well, they probably kind of look the other way unless they're just like stumbling down or whatever. Because at the end of the day, Tully was a draw. And I mean, I guess, you know, it, being a lawyer and how, you know, lawyers think and just corporate people when they don't, when they just don't think with the heart and they just look at, at, at things on paper, it's like, hey, you know, we want to clean up this image. And your point is well taken about with McMahon and the, the drugs and things like that. It's like, well, hey, you know, if someone fails a drug test, that person's out. That's what that's what you do when a secretary shows up with drugs or some, you know, general labor or whatever. A guy shows up with and fails a drug test, he's out. Right. And I think they just look at it from that high level, thirty thousand foot approach, and they don't go and realize 
yeah, you know, this is a major, major loss to us. And, and maybe it's something they could have addressed with Tully otherwise. I don't know. I just think it was a tremendous loss because uh, he was a good wrestler. I mean, good promo guy. And, uh, you know, something I think that just kind of led to the downfall of WCW at that at that point uh, until Bischoff came in and they just revamped it. But All right, so we'll move Tully along for a matchup against Arn in the next round, which we'll expand on this discussion a little bit more. The next matchup, the... A really hot rivalry in the late 80s in NWA, and that was Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert versus Kevin Sullivan. So talk about Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert because we've not talked about him on this podcast yet. Um, you know, he was a very popular wrestler and a, also a good heel down in Memphis and uh, uh, UWF with Bill Watts before he got to NWA. So talk about him. And, of course, his uh, valet was Missy Hyatt. So Missy Hyatt was to me in the eighties, what Sable was to WWF in the nineties. She was the hottest ticket for, uh, valets. Now, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've seen any of her recent interviews or things like that, but, uh, you know, no offense, but she has done a lot of surgery and things that probably wasn't needed and, uh, kind of messed it up. But back in the late eighties, I thought she was one of the best looking ladies out there and she fit perfect with uh, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. They were a good, good team where she interfered and she, you know, caused distractions and things like that. Uh, he was a dynamite heel uh, against Jerry Lawler. He and Lawler had some great, great feuds, uh, great battles. Go back and check out some of the old video footage. If you get, get a chance. Uh, I liked Eddie after he left Memphis and went into NWA, WCW. Uh, I thought he was just a good, a good wrestler. And I liked the, the finishing move of the hot shot. And uh, I thought it was innovative at the, for the time. And, and, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy out there, but he was quick and he could wrestle and he could scrap. And that's, that's what I liked about him. Uh, I think in my mind, Kevin Sullivan, I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves for the business a lot of times, but I do in this matchup, I put Eddie Gilbert over Kevin Sullivan. I'm giving, I'm giving some, uh, mid South UWF and, uh, Memphis some love on this one. All right. Yeah. I think, I, I think I agree with that pick. I think this is really a toss up because Kevin Sullivan was, I mean, super, super over in Florida is that heel. We talked about that that satanic character he had with, uh, with woman. And I mean, it was really, really over. I mean, you hear stories about how people, they really thought that Kevin Sullivan was satanic. And like, if they saw woman at, um, at the gas station, I mean, there were stories where she would say like, people would come up to her with Bibles and say that we're, we're praying for you. And stuff. they were really, really over. And Kevin Sullivan was always one of these great villains. Uh, you know, he was a good with the varsity club um, and, it, you know, good into the 90s and with WCW. Had some great battles with Benoit, which really, you know, they had some real heat, obviously, because, you know, Kevin Sullivan, he was married to a woman at the time and then put a, a, a pairing together where woman and Benoit had a love interest that actually turned into woman ended up getting to uh, getting together with uh, Chris Benoit in real life and leaves Kevin Sullivan in real life and gets married to Benoit. And so th- some of the action they had in the ring was real heat. Um, so, but I think overall, 
I looked at Kevin Sullivan as just a good, solid mid-card guy. And I think Eddie Gilbert was a little bit higher on the chain. Now, they were both mid-card guys, but I just think Eddie Gilbert was overall uh, a better wrestler. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to completely undersell uh, Kevin Sullivan here because I really liked his work with the Varsity Club. And, and Kevin was a good wrestler, like a real uh, amateur wrestler. And uh, was, you know, he was a shorter guy, but he was very athletic. And, you know, go back and look at the size of the guy's uh, legs and things like that. I mean, he was very strong for his size and and things like that. So, you know, I don't want to undersell him, but I just think Hot Stuff was was the better character and the more over uh, character there. Plus, having Missy Hyatt helped him. Yeah. So, all right. So, you know, and the thing about with Kevin Sullivan, too, that we need to just make sure we give credit where credit is due as far as a booker and as far as a wrestling mind for putting matches together, I mean, he was significant in this period. Um, I mean, just a real great mind for the business. Um, I know he was on the booking committee, like with Jim Cornette in the late eighties and obviously very important uh, for his work in WCW in the nineties. So anyway, but hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert moves along in this podcast bracket. All right. So the next matchup, we got Scott Hall. Versus the Mountie. So what's your take on Scott Hall? So Scott Hall, to me, and I was a fan in the AWA days, which people, you know, and I I, I think I've mentioned this briefly in a previous uh, episode, but a lot of people don't realize Scott Hall had a career in AWA before he came over and was Razor Ramon. Now, obviously, he went global when he became Razor Ramon and did some good work there. But I enjoyed some of his work as a tag team with uh, Kurt Hennig in uh, AWA, and they were running buddies over there, and he was known as Big Scott Hall. And, hey, Scott Hall was in shape uh, and and a good uh, big guy. If you go back and watch some of those uh, late 80s matches in AWA, uh, I think his body of work speaks for itself. I wish that Scott could have stayed clean, uh, you know, who knows where his career could have went even after uh, WCW got bought out because he would have been able to come back over to WWE and, and make a name for himself again had he been able to keep himself on track. And he even made a run in TNA uh, over there. Uh, he and Nash and, and Hogan and, and Six and all them were reunited for a brief time over there. And it looked like they were going to do good. And then, of course, he he started having issues again and – by that time, he was getting late in his career anyway, too. But uh, Scott Hall's contri- contribution to the, the wrestling business is huge. They completely changed the world in 96. As you know, I'm a huge NWO mark. I think they let it go too long. But that first two years was unbelievable. And I thought they did really well with it. Now, to talk about the Mountie, uh, I thought he was a good wrestler, but I thought he was a better tag team wrestler with the Rougeau brothers. I liked them as a tag team. We kind of touched on them a little bit in our uh, tag team episode, but uh, the Mountie never got the push. I mean, he was a good heel. It was a good character for the time, but uh, Scott Hall goes over this in this one for sure. I agree. Um, I mean, I think Scott Hall being a part of the NWO and his work as Razor Ramon is enough to get him over the Mountie alone. But uh, I did want to include the Mountie in this because, you know, I, there were a lot of really good stars in the 80s and 90s that we haven't talked about on this podcast. And I do think uh, the Mountie, even as Jacques Rougeau, is a, uh, 
with the Rougeau brothers. I mean, he was a really good wrestler. Um, I thought as the Mountie, he got a lot of heat, especially uh, you know when he was battling Roddy Piper and uh, Bret Hart. Good big guy. So I, I think he's worth making the list, but I think it, he definitely uh, loses to Scott Hall in this matchup. Agreed. So move Scott Hall along. So our next matchup. That's an interesting matchup when you got Eddie Gilbert and Scott Hall in the next round. But all right, battle of uh, AWA legends here. We really haven't talked a lot about AWA a whole lot, even though Scott Hall was was in there for a while. But really, you know, he's known more for his work in WCW and uh, WWF. You got Nick Bockwinkle versus Larry Zabisco, and Nick Bockwinkle was a significant champion in for AWA in the eighties. I mean, he was the champion when Hulk Hogan was given. Uh, starting to get Hulkamania rolling and, uh, you know, was a champion all the way into the really the late 80s. I think he lo- ended up losing it to, to Kurt Henning. But a, a really longtime traditional uh, uh, top guy. And Larry Zabisco has always been a solid wrestler and also an AWA champion. Had some good years in AWA, uh, both as a wrestler and on commentary. So I thought it'd be a really compelling matchup of two guys who were really top guys in AWA for a long time. So what's your take on uh, Nick Bockwinkle versus Larry Zabisco? So this is another one that I'm I'm mad at you about. I think we should have split these guys up to give AWA some love, <laughs> but because uh, they're both good in their own right and they're both legends. Uh, you know, Zabisco's whole shtick was he was Larry Larry uh, excuse me Larry the Legend. And uh, Larry Zabisco actually had a, a little bit of a run in WCW after AWA kind of uh, went defunct, and he did decent over there. And then I liked him on commentary over there as well. But to me, I think Bockwinkle was, uh, you know, if you think AWA, I think Nick Bockwinkle. I mean, that's that's the thing. And he was already a little bit older in in the eighties, but he was still getting heat. He was still carrying the gold. And he was synonymous with AWA, the organization. And, you know, he traveled. He was in the big uh, super clashes and things like that where they would combine uh, uh, with other organizations. And Bockwinkle, to me, was basically the Ric Flair of the AWA. Now, he was not as over as Flair in other territories, but he was that style of guy. He came out with the tan, the flashy blonde hair. He always had... $200 sunglasses on. He would wear a thousand dollar robe to the ring and, and things like that. So I think he carried the championship. Well, I just wanted Zabisco and Bachwinkle to get love separately. Uh, so maybe we could kind of push them on because I think that, uh, as you have, uh, referenced before the casual wrestling fan, unless they were in the Minnesota area, uh, probably didn't get, uh, exposed to these guys like they should have. And uh, they they won't get the love that they should, but Bockwinkle to me goes over because he just had more of a significance to the wrestling world than than Zabisco. But both of these guys were good. I don't want to undersell either one of them. Yeah, well, and I was trying to pick matchups where I, we could kind of tell a story as far as the matchups. So, like you know, you had Benoit versus Taz. Well, I pair pair them up because we can talk about the battle of the the suplexes or you know, a Roddy Piper, Gino Hernandez, or, you know, some type of connection. And 
And I don't know. I just I, I would I thought it'd be kind of a cool matchup too to have Nick Bockwinkel versus Zabisco. Oh, it's a it's it's a great match, Ben. Don't get me wrong, because Zabisco was the last champion of AWA, right? I think he was the one with the gold when it went out of business, if I'm not mistaken. And just the last guy versus the guy who carried the company, I, I think that's a good good story to tell. I like them both, but I just I wanted AWA to get a little bit of love in this uh, uh, tournament. Well, we're still keeping with the AWA in a way when we go to our next matchup, and that's Kurt Henning versus Brad Armstrong. And you're talking about AWA. I mean, that's where Kurt Henning got his start. You know, he w- broke in with his dad, Larry the Axe Henning, who was a big time star in the the late 70s or 60s and 70s in the AWA. And of course, Kurt gets his start in the 80s and works his way up and, you know, has a good tag team with Scott Hall there and battles with Sabisco and uh, Nick Bockwinkle and eventually was an AWA champion before moving on to uh, WWF and becoming Mr. Perfect, which I think was his best work. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, in WWF as Mr. Perfect, he was almost – Almost perfect. <laughs> I mean, he was he was great on the mic. He's a great technical wrestler. Had a good look. Um, you know, he could match up with the power guys as well as the the Intercontinental guys. I mean, he had some good matches with Kerry Von Erich. I liked his work with Bret Hart. Um, the only thing I guess with Kurt Henning is he he was injury prone in the nineties. He had some back problems, but I, I like the pairing with him and Ric Flair in WWF, but when he went to WCW, I thought he was good, but, and you've alluded to this before, the fact that they invited him to be a part of the Horseman, and then he did, and then he turned on the Horseman, I just didn't like that, because I thought he was a perfect Horseman, so talk about Kurt Henning, and his run in uh, AWA, WWF, and uh, WCW. So as as and then we'll talk about Brad Armstrong too because I, I do want to give Brad Armstrong some some love here because he was very very good in the ring. Absolutely. So as you and I had talked in previous uh, episodes and you kind of touched on it here for a minute, uh, I, you know I discovered AWA coming home from school uh, on, on ESPN. A lot of times, you know, that's also where I discovered WCCW. But for a while, ESPN carried AWA. And then a lot of times on late Friday night, they would show uh, the weekly episodes of AWA as well. And uh, that's kind of where I discovered uh, that organization. And unfortunately, it was in the late 80s. But, you know, I got to see some reruns of it, too. But uh, Kurt Henning, when he first came in, super athletic kid, good looking kid, built good, could go in the ring. Uh, very good amateur wrestler, uh, ha- has a very good accomplishment uh, in his history of amateur wrestling, uh, just a superb, uh, guy. And I knew when I saw Kurt Henning, uh, and Scott Hall together, I knew when I was watching them that they were destined. Cause even as a kid back then, I knew that WWF was the, the goal. That was the, that was where people wanted to go. Cause that, that was where the money was. And I, I knew that Kurt Henning was bigger than AWA. I knew that he was going to come out of it and do things somewhere else. And I, I just enjoyed watching him. And then, of course, Mr. Perfect was the, for lack of a better terms, he was the perfect heel. And for the time that he came in, you know, like you said, he could go with Hogan. He could go with Bret Hart. He could go with Macho. He could go with Rude. I mean, you put him in there. And he and Rude had history, right? Because Rude was also a Minnesota guy. So Hennig and, and Rude knew each other. They had a history. 
And, you know, Henning could get in there and go with the Jake, the snakes, the, the steamboats, the machos, the, you know, all that. And like you said, he could mix it up with the bigger guys. So the sky was the limit for him, uh, athletic wise and potential wise in in the world of, of wrestling. My biggest disappointment as a fan, and you touched on this for sure, was I think WCW missed the boat by making him a horseman. I think when he was in WWF and I was watching both companies and I was a huge horseman mark anyway, I even said when he was Mr. Perfect and all my neighborhood buddies can can attest to this, we always talked about what if uh, Hennig went over and became one of the horsemen. We talked about that. And then when Flair came to WWF, a lot of us thought that they were going to form a WWF version of the horsemen. You know, I thought that was where they were going with that, but they never did. And like you said, I think it was because Henning always had uh, injuries. He was more of a, a manager type with, uh, with Flair at the time, kind of more of his, his muscle outside the ring. Uh, but one of my biggest disappointments was at that, uh, I think it was at war games, uh, when they had the heel turn and he went to NWO, I was like, man, they're doing everything they can do to kill the horseman. And that move, I think, was the start of the downfall of WCW, in my opinion, because the fans wanted a faction to come out and fight the NWO and stand their ground. And that would have been the guy to come in and, and re-strengthen the horsemen and help them stand their ground and just have a tremendous feud with the NWO. They They missed the mark there. They missed a lot of money there, in my opinion. And it was it was a disappointment. And I know it wasn't Kurt Henning's fault. It was management's fault. But I kind of uh, unfortunately held that against him. <laughs> Did you ever hear anything where any interviews with Kurt Henning where he talked about that and where he thought it was a bad idea? Or Because I would think somebody like Kurt with Kurt Henning's stature, he would have some type of comment on the ability to, to bring that kind of stuff in. Um, because I agree. I mean, I thought, you know, when he did like the West Texas Rednecks with Barry Windham, that just really didn't, it was okay, but it wasn't as good if it was going to be the horseman, because I think if he was part of the horseman, that goes more along with the Mr. Perfect idea. He would be the kind of guy who would be the, the styling and profiling kind of guy. And then to go from that to the West Texas Rednecks, just, it didn't really fit to me with what Kurt Henning did. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that uh, Wyndham and and Henning teamed up could have been gold if they would have handled it correctly. But uh, going with the West Texas Rednecks and all that, that just didn't work because most people that knew Henning's history knew he was from the North anyway and knew he was from Minnesota. So I I don't know. It, it was just tough. Yeah. Well, that being said, in this matchup, he's paired up against Brad Armstrong. And Brad Armstrong, for a lot of people who are were just WWF folks, he was a really talented wrestler in WCW, NWA in the 80s and 90s. I mean, as far as like technical skills in the ring, I mean, guys like Jim Cornette and all the others, they just rave about how good in the ring Brad Armstrong was. And to me, he's the kind of guy that I was very surprised that he didn't get more of a push as a top guy in um, in WCW, NWA, because he was a good-looking guy. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if it was his hair, because his hair was kind of, I mean, it was definitely the mullet look and like the greasy 
the greasy look, but I mean, if he had his hair fixed better, or whatever, I mean, he was a good enough uh, looking guy. He had a good body. Um, I mean, it seemed like he had good charisma in the ring. I mean, I was really surprised he didn't have a bigger push because he was always kind of like a mid card guy to lower mid card guy that, you know, he'd come in and give a good match for, let's say, a, 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 a Tully Blanchard or a, whoever a heel would be, but not really get over unless it was maybe a, I th- he may have had a run with the, the TV title. You know, I think he wrestled Arn Anderson a lot, but I just thought that he would have been a bigger star, especially with his dad, Bullet Bar- Bob Armstrong, being such a, a strong wrestler. Yeah, Brad Armstrong, the whole Armstrong family, I, I just really like them. And I was always uh, upset that they didn't get more of a push because, just like you said, I mean, they they had a decent look. They could all wrestle in the ring. Brad was was a good good wrestler. Uh, I, I don't know what the uh, missing piece there was, but he never got pushed like he should have. And I just, you know, I'm like, give the guy a break because he is your go-to guy to come in and build up another or, or put over a, a new talent and, and give him a good matchup. And, you know, he was kind of like the Hercules. He didn't have a whole lot of wins, but no matter who you put him in there, he gave a good match, right? So, I mean, he would put up a heck of a fight with uh, Andre the Giant or he would lose to uh, uh, Shawn Michaels or somebody. You know, it was just kind of weird how his career went. But uh, I am a fan of the Armstrong family. I thought they were undersold by a long shot. They they deserve more credit. Yeah. So with that being said, I mean, Kurt Henning goes over in this matchup pretty easily based on the the his career accomplishments. But uh, I did like the matchup of him and Brad Armstrong. Just from a, if you're a really good booker and you just want to put a really good match together, this would really be a good match because both guys could really go technical wise. I mean, they could do pretty much everything similar body types. I mean. I, I just think it'd be a fantastic matchup. No question. I, I would love to to watch the wrestling match, but uh, Henning goes over for sure, no matter where it's booked. Yep. All right, so we're on to the second round in this bracket, and then we have Shawn Michaels versus Chris Adams in a battle of the super kicks. So what's your um, analysis of this matchup? <laughs> I like Chris Adams better than Michaels, but there's no way I could put him over uh, Shawn Michaels, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh my heart is Chris Adams all the way, but Shawn Michaels goes over here in a good matchup. I mean, no matter where they're they're booked or where they go, this is going to be a good matchup. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it'd be a good matchup, but I think I think Shawn wins on a couple of levels. I think he wins overall for his accomplishments during this period. I mean, whether you like him or not, his accomplishments and title reigns. I mean, he was significant. Uh, during this period, and really an, an all-timer. I think Chris Adams is very good, but he just never got to the level that Shawn Michaels did as far as being the guy in the ma- major promotion. Even in his you know, really great time and world-class, I mean, he, he was never – well, you know what? I guess I'll take that back. He may have been the guy when Kerry Von Erich was out um, with that injury uh, from the motorcycle wreck in like the mid-'80s. He, he was a very significant guy, but, I mean, he never was – a big guy in um, WWF or WCW. So right. I think you, you can't take Shawn Michaels uh, to lose to Chris Adams, but I think it'd be a really good match. Agreed. Now moving on to something that is going to be a, an amazing match, and I really think a toss-up. You got Arn Anderson versus Tully. You got two horsemen going against each other. Very similar s- styles in a way. I mean, Arn has the power advantage, but, I mean, golly, 
what a great technical match and what a great promo leading up to this match. What's your take on it? This match would be money in south to southeast and and probably midwest uh no matter where you put it because it two horsemen going against each other also the brainbusters going against each other i mean it's it's so much history there uh but i again i i said this earlier i am not a huge tolly fan uh i'm not going to take anything away from him he he was good and very successful but arn anderson goes over here for me in a a bloodbath. It, it would be like a street fight type thing because there's so much personal history there and you would have to d- build it up as a, as a feud where somebody, you know, screwed somebody over or, or something or, or took some money from somebody or, you know, interfered where they shouldn't have, or, you know, one of those kind had of an on had an affair with baby doll. Right. Right. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, uh, Arn goes over, I think, but th- this is a awesome match. I would have loved to have seen it. I don't know that this one ever happened. Now, I know Arn and Flair happened a couple times, but I don't know that Tully and Arn ever actually uh, crossed over like that. Yeah, I don't think they did. Um, I mean, because they were always heels at that point. But uh, I agree with Arn. I think the overall uh, longevity of the career is the difference for me. Um I think, you know, Tully was pretty popular. He had some more good years in the 80s before Arn came on the scene. But I think the fact is, is really a- after 89, Tully wasn't relevant in wrestling. Agreed. Um, on a big scale, Arn Anderson was still a major, major player until he retired in 1997. So I think he goes over, but I think it'd be a really great match. And uh, I, I would have loved to have seen it as well, but the enforcer moves on. All right, next matchup, um, we have Eddie Gilbert versus Scott Hall. So you got quite a size difference here. You know, Scott Hall definitely has a size and power advantage over Eddie uh, Gilbert. Eddie's probably a little more conniving, I think. He has Missy Hyatt in the background to distract him, which may distract Scott Hall. I mean, knowing Missy Hyatt, she probably flashes him in the middle of the match or something. Who knows? And back then, it would be worth seeing. So uh, anyway, uh, what do you take on what's your take on this matchup of Eddie Gilbert versus Scott Hall? Honestly, I think this matchup is good because both of these guys are are more uh, heels in their careers than they are faces. Uh, Scott Hall, I think, really the only time he was a true face was in uh, AWA when he was Big Scott Hall with Kurt. Uh, but I, I think two heels booked against each other makes a makes for a awesome match. And even though there is a size difference, I think these guys could tell a story in the ring because they're both real crafty veterans. Uh, There's just a lot of uh, experience there and a lot of history there. Uh, I think really in the storyline, though, I think Scott Hall is just too big and too strong for Eddie. And I think that he goes over. But uh, I think it's an awesome match. And I think booked anywhere, it, it, it would draw money, especially in their primes. Uh, and with Eddie, like, as you said, with Missy, uh, with him, I think it makes it even closer match, but I'm putting Scott Hall over. I agree. And I think the other thing too, just to be honest about it is Scott Hall just made a bigger impact in the nineties than, um, than Eddie Gilbert did. I mean, really, you know, I forgot the year that Eddie Gilbert died. Um, but I mean, he, he was another one that died early. Um, but Scott Hall's impact as Razor Ramon in WCW, 
uh, in WWF was was huge. Uh, well, I guess he was a diamond stud in WCW, but um, his impact with the NWO was just you know game changing. I I don't think you can overlook that. And I think Scott Hall. I mean, he was a you can make an argument. Really, probably the better '80s career went to Eddie Gilbert, but I think Agreed. Scott Hall was so much better in the '90s that that difference is just too big for the for Eddie Gilbert to overcome in the '80s. But I think if you're looking just as, a, as an overall matchup, too, Scott Hall. I mean, he could go and wrestle with the smaller guys like Shawn Michaels and and the Eddie Gilberts and, and really compete. And he had the power, so he was a well-rounded wrestler. And honestly, um, I probably I, I should have had him. Uh, probably I should have had him in the heavyweight matchup. But I was like, you know what? I think he could go with uh, these middleweights, and so that's why I put him over here. Yeah, honestly, Scott Hall. I was thinking that, but and I'm in the same mentality. He he can go in either either one, but you know he did go by the name of Big Scott Hall uh, in AWA because he's bigger than a lot of people. I think give him credit for because he does go with the smaller guys and put them over. But uh, if you take like when he come over to WCW uh, as the NWO, when he stood beside Hogan, I mean, he was as big as Hogan. So, you know, definitely height wise and things like that. So, and Hogan's considered one of the big guys of the business. So he could have went either way, but I I, I like the pairing. I like uh, where you put him because it gives him a little bit more notoriety. I don't think he would have made it, as deep against some of the names over there, depending on the matchup we put him in. So I, I think that he's uh, getting what he deserves over here. I think it's good. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, I kind of like, I was kind of looking at, at really good matchups for Kurt Henning and I kind of wanted to see if I could end up with a pairing of Kurt Henning or Nick Bockwinkel, one of the really legends of AWA against Scott Hall. I thought that'd be kind of a cool matchup. So we're going to have that potential with, Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Henning. But um, I do want to – and the other thing, too, just kind of looking at Eddie Gilbert's career, he ended up passing away in 1995, and really, I mean, he was out of the NWA World, uh, World Championship Wrestling by 1989. So from 89 to 95, he was really USWA. Uh, so he really wasn't a major player um, – in wrestling in the nineties. I do want to give Eddie Gilbert some props though, because when he, he has a good eye for women talent when he married Missy Hyatt and Medusa. Now, I don't know, maybe they were crazy or whatever, but just being as superficial as I can be, you know, Eddie Gilbert had a good eye for talent. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. So, so we'll give him some props in that regard. All right. Our final um, second round matchup of this bracket is Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Henning. And, you know, it's kind of like a, going back to the AWA rivals. You know, these were the guys that battled for the AWA title and I guess sort of a passing of the torch from Nick Bockwinkle to Kurt Henning. But to your point, I mean, and that didn't happen until like 87. So really from 80 to 87, Nick Bockwinkle was the guy in AWA and even going back to the seventies was the guy in a lot of regions. I mean, a major champion. Um, and you know, Kurt Henning really didn't become a super popular dominant wrestler until the late eighties when he started to, I guess, take the torch from Nick Bockwinkle. So it's kind of a, a a really interesting matchup. What's your take on this? This one is very hard to call because, 
Henning did get intercontinental gold in WWF. Uh, but I feel like I feel strongly. And I know if you dig up the history of this and there's probably shoot, uh, interviews on this, I guarantee you Vince McMahon tried to recruit Bachwinkle at some point in the early to mid eighties. And I guarantee you that McMahon would have put something on, on him <clears throat> just as a stab in the face to the Ganyas. Uh, because really that was McMahon's whole thing with Hogan, right? Uh, Hogan was running for the championship in AWA and actually had it for a brief stint. And then they reversed the decision. <clears throat> and then McMahon come under Vern Gagne and offered Hogan more money. So, and, and Hogan had a relationship with McMahon previous because he was in the WWWF uh, for a short time under Vince senior. But uh, I really guarantee you that, that McMahon tried to, recruit Bachwinkle at some point because McMahon liked those guys. He liked the flares. He liked the Bachwinkle style uh, personality. And of course, Bachwinkle was the flagship for AWA. So what better way to kill that territory than take their flagship guy, right? So mm. I guarantee you if Bachwinkle would have went to WWF, he would have gotten some gold at some point, maybe a short run, you know, or whatever, but he would have gotten it. So putting that in perspective, I feel like I'm going with Bachwinkle over Henning because Henning never really broke out other than the intercontinental uh, run that he really had there in WWF. And then, of course, he was injury prone. He went to WCW and didn't do much over there. He was just one of the NWO cronies. Uh, he never really stood out. So I'm I'm going with Bachwinkle in an upset here. I, I feel like it's kind of an upset. Uh, and it's probably not going to be popular, but I think he meant more to the AWA organization than Kurt Henning meant to any of the other organizations that he went to. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, just to kind of give some stats on Nick Bockwinkle here. I mean, when he retired in 1987 after Henning took the belt from him, he was 52 years old. So that means that when he was still on top in the 80s, in the AWA, he was well into his 40s. I mean, so even in 1980, I mean, he was already 45 years old. So, and even in the 80s, he had some great matches with Hulk Hogan. And to your point, you know, he, he had um, ma- matches with Ric Flair. I mean, a, a major, major heel. Yep. But the thing about it, it's interesting. You were saying you thought that, you know, you thought that Vince would probably make a, a run at Nick Bockwinkle. I don't know that he necessarily would have, because if you think about it, in the 80s, I mean, the AWA until like '85, it was top notch. Agreed. I mean, you think the people that were there were really, maybe even if you say '84, because once Hogan left, I mean, he took like Mean Gene with him, and Bobby when Bobby Heenan left, I mean, that was a major, major loss. But I mean, they had the Road Warriors, they had Hogan, they had, um, you know, just great, great talent there. Bobby Heenan, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, you had a, a, good, a good Ken Patera. Yep. Um, Jesse the Body. So, yeah. So Adrian Adonis. You know all those guys, and it, even in the seventies, that's where you had your Ray Stevens and your uh, just legends. I mean, Stan Hansen was in AWA for a while in the title holder, but Bachwinkle was like the stable guy. So I don't know that he would have gone to um, WWF, and if, if he did. I mean, they had Bruno Sammartino as a champion over there for many, many years. Right. And 
to take the title off of Bruno was not really good business because he was so over there. I mean, I remember the day he lost the title. I mean, it was like an outrage in uh, Madison Square Garden, and I forgot who beat him. But um, and you know they had a big run with uh, with uh, Bob Buckland over there, right? And Bob was really pop- so I don't know if he did, but I mean he was, he held the AWA title four times. Um, you know, had great matches with Zabisco and Kurt Henning, but um, I don't know, man. I I, I guess I'll, if you're gonna go with Zabisco, I mean a uh, Bachwinkle, it's hard to argue against that as much of a as a fan as I am of Kurt Henning because of the fact that really Henning was at his peak when he was Mr. Perfect. Right. And really that run of Mr. Perfect started to take, I mean, he had injuries in 92, 93. So he didn't always have those great matches with, um, as long as we would like, like with Bret Hart and flair. I mean, those injuries really hurt him. Agreed. So, yeah. So right now, and, you know, I've got my interference pick that I don't want to throw right now unless I have to. So, I mean, I think it's a very valid point to take Nick Bockwinkle over Kurt Henning. Yep, I agree. That that was why I made that point. Now, my heart likes Kurt Henning better. Right. But No, I agree. But statistically and, and all that, Bockwinkle gets it. And my point about the WWF is for Bockwinkle, can you imagine some of the matches that could have happened in 81 81- 82 with Bockwinkle versus uh, Bob Bockland and or Bockwinkle versus Iron Sheik or Bob uh, Bockwinkle versus uh, Bruno San Martino because San Martino could still go that uh, he was kind of past his prime, but in the early 80s, he could still go. And can you imagine that? I mean, those guys going back and forth, if McMahon would have got him over. Yeah, no, it's. It's pretty amazing, but uh, I agree. I mean, Nick Bockwinkle was a good wrestler. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Well, we'll get to it, I guess, as we get along. Um, but, you know, back in the day when you had the territories traveling and stuff, he was battling Ric Flair. He was battling Ted DiBiase and, yep. and those guys. I've watched so, Bockwinkle versus Flair multiple times uh, on the old on YouTube and things like that, and I, I'd recommend anybody go back and watch some of those. Yeah. All right, so maybe in a bit of an upset here, Nick Bockwinkle over Kurt Henning. So now our final four, Shawn Michaels versus Arn Anderson, Scott Hall versus Nick Bockwinkle. So let's start with Shawn versus Arn. What's your take on this matchup? I think that this would be a awesome match in take a 1989-90 version of Arn Anderson versus a 1997 version of, or 96 version of Shawn Michaels. I think that uh, they just kind of missed each other a little bit uh, timing wise. I think that uh, the buildup would be great, especially if Arn had the horseman backing him. Uh, But singles wrestler career wise, you can't deny Michaels over, over Arn. I think Uh, if you break it down to tag team wrestling, Arn goes over Michaels, no matter what, but because Arn was a tag team specialist. But uh, I think here for this bracket's purposes, you go with, with Michaels over Arn as bad as I hate it. Cause I am not a Michaels fan, but I, I think you can't deny him. I agree. And I, I think the points you gave are perfect points. I mean, Shawn Michaels is just an amazing, amazing wrestler. And as much as I love Arn Anderson, I, I think Arn Anderson was great. 
you can't deny Shawn Michaels' success as a singles wrestler and his importance as a draw in those Monday Night Wars. Right, and you know his and the matches he had with the Undertaker and uh, you know and and the DX um, importance as well. I mean, so anyway, we I agree a hundred percent with Shawn Michaels going over Arn. And we have a matchup of still guys with AWA lineage, keeping your AWA hopes alive here. You got Scott Hall versus Nick Bockwinkle. Now, I guess my take on it is if you're going to pick Nick Bockwinkle over Kurt Henning, you got to pick Nick Bockwinkle over Scott Hall because I would pick I would pick Kurt Henning over Scott Hall in a matchup because I think the, I think both Kurt Henning and Nick Bockwinkle are better overall wrestlers than Scott Hall. That being said, Scott Hall would have a big size advantage. I mean, I didn't realize that Nick Bockwinkel was only 5'10". Uh, and the fact of the impact of the NWO was so over. Is that enough to give Scott Hall the win over Nick Bockwinkel in this bracket challenge? Woo, this one's a tough one uh, because I think overall I was more of a Kurt Henning fan than I am a Scott Hall fan. So the fact that I picked Bockwinkle over Henning and I gave my justifications there, I think that carries through. I think Bockwinkle was the man in AWA, and it's real hard to deny that because he carried the company for uh, the better part of a decade. And you alluded to it that AWA was actually more of a draw in early, early 80s than WWF was. And that's why McMahon was coming after the top talent, even announcers, even uh, uh, managers and all that, because he went after Gene Okerlund. He went after Bobby Heenan. He went after Hogan. Uh, Andre did a lot of stuff in AWA, and McMahon wanted to tie Andre down to a contract. He was the first one that did that. And uh, so Andre then became a WWF guy instead of uh, going and doing territory stuff. So in all honesty, and, you know, Sarge went back and forth between NWA, AWA, and WWF. McMahon kind of locked him in for several years during the 80s. So uh, my theory on that is when AWA was still top and they were still on fire and they were still putting butts in the seats and making the money, Nick Bockwinkle was your guy. So I still... as bad, And this is going to really tick people off because there's a lot of Scott Hallmarks out there, I think. Uh, I, I'm picking Bockwinkle over him, but uh, and those are my reasons why. Because Bockwinkle was the guy; he was the gold wearing guy. He was the franchise player for AWA. Yeah, you know, I'm just looking at Nick Bockwinkle's stats. Um, I know we're talking eight seventies or eighties and nineties here, but Nick Bockwinkle, of course, Vern Gagne was, you know, their main legendary champion over there because he was the promoter. Sure. But Nick Bockwinkle won the title from Vern Gagne on November 8th of 1975. And that was after um, Vern Gagne had been the champion for almost seven years, over seven years. Nick Vern Gagne, that was his ninth reign. He held the title for 2,625 days, which is unimaginable in society today. Really unimaginable. I mean, Hogan's four-year reign, his title in the – title holder in the 80s in WWF, that's that's the longest um, since anything. I mean, you haven't had anybody hold a title maybe more than a year since then. But, all right, so then Bockwinkle gets a title. 
November 8th of 1975 for his first AWA championship. He held that title for 1,714 days. He held it for almost five years before he lost it back to Vern Gagne uh, for his 10th title. Uh, and he held, Vern held it for almost a year. And of course, Vern had to retire with the title. Then Bockwinkle gets it back, holds the title for almost 500 days until he lost it to Otto Wants in uh, 1982. He technically lost it to Hogan, but um, there was a foreign object involved, and the referee took out that match. It's a great match on YouTube, by the way. Absolutely. Because there was, there was a YouTube uh, story about the history of AWA, and they showed a lot of Nick Bockwinkle matches versus Hogan when Hogan was getting big in 82 uh, due to Rocky III, and those are really good matches. Bobby the Brain Heenan was a manager of Nick Bockwinkle okay. in AWA. So Bockwinkle gets it back um, basically in 1986 after Stan Hansen had it. And then he held it for 308 days before he gives it to Kurt Henning in 1987. And that's basically when Nick Bockwinkle retires. So you're talking about a guy that had the title that hold it. I mean, he held it for years within the 80s right. and stuff. So – I mean, and it's interesting. You're looking at stats when they rank the greatest wrestlers of all time and stuff. I mean, Bockwinkle's up in the top twenty, um, so I, I have no problem. I think I think as a a wrestling purist, we can't justify picking Scott Hall over Nick Bockwinkle. Agreed. So we're going with Nick Bockwinkle. All right. So down to the finals of this bracket. Two legends in the world of wrestling. You got Shawn Michaels. Versus Nick Bockwinkle. And, you know, I was talking all those stats about with Nick Bockwinkle, but when you look at Shawn Michaels' stats, the title reigns, um, you know, the, I mean, he he's up there. He's up there really high. I mean, Ric Flair picked Shawn Michaels to be the, the guy to basically end the Flair's career in WWE at WrestleMania. Um, so two outstanding technicians, to giants in the field of professional wrestling. What's your take on this matchup? My heart says Bockwinkle, but my wrestling mind says Michaels uh, for sure. And I hate it because I am not a Michaels fan, but th these matchups, <laughs> this bracket that you put Michaels in, unfortunately favors Michaels, I feel like. So uh, I like Bockwinkle better, but uh, Michaels goes over. At, you know, I would have loved to have seen a 1980. 81 Bockwinkle versus a 1995-96 Shawn Michaels. I think it would have been dynamite. It would have been world-class anywhere you put them. They would have been drawing money. Uh, both good athletes. Both carried the gold well. Uh, both champions. Both could put on a good show, and both could cut decent promos. So I, I think you don't go wrong with these guys in their prime. You know, uh, Michaels and, and Bockwinkle may have crossed paths just temporarily uh, with Michaels being a part of the Midnight Rockers because they did start out in AWA right at the end, towards the end of Bockwinkle's career. They may have just missed each other, but Bockwinkle's influence was definitely still on AWA when Michael started if they did miss each other. But just to give a little history there. But anyway, uh, as bad as I hate it, Michaels goes over to me. Yeah, well, I guess we'll take a step back and just kind of look at their careers. Um, bo both guys have been longtime world champions. Both have been the faces of their 
franchises when their franchises were hot territories and hot markets. And, uh, you know, they were able to, I mean, Michaels can draw. I mean, he, he could draw, he could get heat, as could Bockwinkle. I think for me, I've got to go with Michaels over Bockwinkle just because I think the athleticism of Shawn Michaels would be too much. Because I think Shawn Michaels could, Shawn Michaels, I think, can go toe to toe with anybody from a pure wrestling skill standpoint. But I think he could also, I think Bockwinkle would have the advantage in power. But I still think that Michaels would be able to compete. And actually, Michaels is a little bit taller, so Michaels may have the advantage there. But I, I just think that I think this is a really t- tough matchup, and you can't go wrong either way. But I think you just got to give it to Shawn Michaels based on his his athleticism and his overall um, uh, success in the modern modern wrestling and the popularity. So to to give some history, I had to cheat. I googled it. Michaels did debut as a singles wrestler in AWA in '86. So he and Bockwinkle would have crossed paths for sure. Yeah, but I think the thing is, is when Shawn Michaels came in at that point, um, I mean, he was like a lower guy on the totem pole oh, until yeah. he got paired with my, my, uh, Marty Jannetty. Yeah, for in sure. The so I don't think they probably ever matched up in there. Or maybe they did, but if they did, I mean, Bockwinkle would be going over there. Yeah, for sure. I'm just making the point that Michael's career yeah. was long enough that he did cross over with Bockwinkle uh, while Bockwinkle was still competing. Yeah. All right, so... We have Shawn Michaels as the final entrant in this final four where, you know, it's interesting. You look at the bracket here. All right. You got Ric Flair and Randy Savage on one side, and then you got Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels on the other. And it's a very interesting matchup how that, that panned out because you really have eighties dominance on the left-hand side and nineties and two thousands dominance on the, on the right-hand side. So, very interesting, I, I think. So, our first matchup, Ric Flair versus Randy Savage. What a classic. Two of the greats of all time. Two greats on promos. Both loved the the beautiful women as valets. Nobody, I think, styles and profile better than the nature boy Ric Flair, though. But I think this would be a an amazing matchup. I would love to hear the promos. I was actually... Like this week, I wanted to try to do like a Ric Flair promo uh, as to what his promo would be in Ric Flair and um, if he was going against Macho Man Savage. And like my voice just was like so sore after doing it, but it would be like, I, I can't even do it. But I was just, what I would say be like, Savage, I'm the world heavyweight champion. And, and if you don't like it, learn to love it because it's the best thing going around. And then the whoo. <laughs> And then Randy Savage would come back and his promos would be all, you know, he gets all wound up and excited, but ultimately he'd be a saying, but the cream always rises to the top. That's true. That's so, exactly right. They would cut the, the best promos for this. And this match uh, had to have taken place in WWF because Macho was still around when Flair came over. And I know they crossed uh, paths in WCW before the Monday, right. Monday Night Wars and and all that, and it maybe even a little bit after that, but you know, Macho made his debut in WCW before the whole NWO takeover and and all that thing. So they did have some pretty decent matches, uh, you know, later on in both of their careers. So 
it did happen uh, for us fans. Uh, we loved it. We loved the nostalgia and the, the two big names. I think for purposes of contributions to the business overall, and this is a tough one, that Flair goes over. I think Flair just edges out Macho Man in this matchup. I, I agree. Um, I mean, that being completely objective, that's who I would go with. I mean, me personally, I like I like Flair. Um, I like this character a little bit better than Macho Man because, you know, when Macho Man turned on Hogan, I didn't really like that as much. But, and the thing is with Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And that man is Ric Flair. And I just think that in NWA, he was so he was so important. He was the man, um, and you know he had Sting come along after Dusty Rhodes and to be his the adversary. But at the end of the day, diamonds are forever, and so is Ric Flair. And that's the analysis I'm using here. Because, <laughs> no argument um, here. No argument here. I'm a Flair Mark. Well, because it goes back to my comment at the beginning of the podcast where I was like, you know, they always tried to put Flair out. I mean, they were looking to do it even as early as the 1980s with they were wanting to put the strap on David uh, Von Erich before he died in 84. So then they have the matchup uh, with Kerry Von Erich and Kerry gets the belt for like 18 days and then it goes back to Flair and you know, Flair traded a few times with Dusty, but it, I mean, it was always Flair at that point being the champion until Sting kind of got to be the guy to sort of be groomed. But even when Sting had titles, you had titles going back to, um, to Flair. I mean, you had Ricky Steamboat come in for a, a period, but I mean, it wasn't very long that Flair was without the belt. And so they were trying to put him out in the mid eighties, trying to put him out in the early nineties, um, and he was just around for forever. And even when he, um, in WCW Bischoff was trying to put him down and he still came back and, uh, still relevant and in his run in WWF or WWE in the two thousands really rejuvenated him. I mean, the pairing with, uh, triple H and Bautista, I mean, he was great Oh yeah, in that evolution. Yeah. I mean, he was great where he could t- tag and, you know, didn't have to necessarily carry the long matches, but I what they showed the the Shawn Michaels match with Ric Flair, where it was his last match in WWE in 2008, and Flair was still going and gave a good match and the dirtiest player in the game with you know some thumbs to the eyes and the the chops and everything. And but I just think that overall he was around longer as a top guy than Savage was. But Savage was amazing. I mean, look at it. We picked him over Sting. We picked him over Rick Rude. Right. I mean, just some great, great wrestlers in this period. So I I agree. I, I just, I, going back to the statement, diamonds are forever and so is Ric Flair. And as I'm picking Ric Flair over the Macho Men. That being said, we talked about in our matchup with Randy Savage versus Sting, you know, how you were conflicted. And I, I used my interference rule for Miss Elizabeth. Oh, one thing to conclude on Flair and Savage, I would say, you know, you talk about how the, the match would end. Remember that Elizabeth did turn on Macho Man in WCW. 
and, and went over to join Flair. Agreed. And she was value for Flair she, along with woman. She was a horsewoman with with Nancy, with woman. Yeah. And it was a So good you gotta give Flair some props on that. I mean, he's got like two of the best looking valets at the, probably the two best looking valets at that time on his side. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I think you need to have some type of involvement where Miss Elizabeth would get involved and cost the Macho Man the match and he'd probably get into the, the figure forward. But I wouldn't have the Macho Man submit. The Macho Man is too good, in my opinion, to submit to the final four or to tap out. I, I don't want him to do that. So what I'd want to do is have some type of distraction. There's like a thumb to the eye by Ric Flair, and then he rolls him up in a small package for a one, two, three, holding the tights. <laughs> I can go with that for sure. Agreed. So, but um, but we talked about that matchup with Sting and how you were conflicted about whether to go with Sting or, or Savage. You want to go with Sting in your heart. Um, what would be your take on a, on a Flair-Sting matchup? Because we had so many of those good matchups uh, back in the day. Again, on that one, I as much of a Flair fan as I was, I was more of a fan of Sting. But the outcome would still be the same because when you do the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling, Flair is on it. Bar none, I'm not arguing with anybody. He and Hogan are on, they have solidified their positions. The other two positions can rotate depending on what my mood is, but the the two are always going to be Flair and Hogan. Uh, I I think the outcome's still the same. Flair comes out the winner, but uh, I would have liked to have seen the Sting-Flair matchup in that final four. But yeah, I, I still got to go with Flair, even though I'm more of a Sting guy than I am Flair. Right. All right. So we got Ric Flair going to the finals in a matchup of Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. Now there were these matchups in the 2000s as well. Um, so there there is some history there. Got two guys very similar styles. Both can give excellent five star matches. Um, both have great mic skills and and the insults would be fantastic. So what's your analysis of a Jericho Shawn Michaels matchup? Yeah, just to give some history, you you did touch on it. They did have this feud and actually Jericho is responsible for uh permanently damaging uh Shawn Michaels' eye. Uh, I don't know if you knew the history behind that, but it was on Jericho's uh show uh in the ring. What was it called? Was it called Talk is Jericho or what was it called? I think that's his podcast now, but uh Yeah. Uh, he slammed Michaels into one of the big screen TVs and messed his eye up. That That's not kayfabe. That's legit. And uh, Michaels had that uh, eye damage. But they still had fabulous uh, matches after that. Uh, this was a, a five-star match. No matter where you book it, uh, where you put it, uh, you know, no matter where you go with it, it's five stars. But I'm going with Jericho over Michaels because I am not a Michaels fan and I'm a huge Jericho-holic. Wow. Wow. Maybe a bit of an upset. You know what? Maybe maybe our friend Christian Miscagney is, is jumping for joy right now. <laughs> Le champion. Yeah. Maybe he's popping a, a little bit of the bubbly right now in celebration. You know, it, it's an interesting match. Um, obviously, definitely two of the all-time greats. I think if we had this discussion in, um, let's say, twenty, even five years ago, I don't, I don't know that I would pick Jericho. I would pick Shawn Michaels. Agreed. But 
you know, the last five years of Jericho have been really good. Uh, we alluded to the fact of his matchup with uh, pairing with Kevin Owens and the 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 list. I thought the list was just amazing, and I, I think with Jericho, his ability to constantly change and and stay relevant um, it is a uh, amazing. And he gives good matches. I I really think from a wrestling standpoint, it, it really is a toss up. Um, and it depends on who, hey, who's the hot guy at the time, because they're both going to be able to give a great match. So let um, let me let me have you think about it this way. Let's pull out the '80s and '90s card. We haven't used that that much this this episode, but this is what we're yeah. we're grading them on. If you go from strictly '80s and '90s, Jericho didn't have a career until the '90s. Mike, That's right. Michael started in 86 with AWA. I just looked it up. And then he had a good run with the Midnight Rockers in AWA. Then he had a run with the Rockers in WWF in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And he became the Heartbreak Kid. Then, you know, as well as I do, from 95 to like 97, before he had the injury, uh, back injury, he was dominant and was main eventing WrestleMania. But in 97, he took a, a hit because he had that injury and he set out. He went away. Jericho came over and Jericho was already having a good run in WCW in the cruiserweights and had some five-star matches and, and developing his mic skills, etc. Then he came over and he, uh, became a champion. If I'm not mistaken in the late, late nineties, maybe 99. If I, I think that may have been in 99 when he beat the rock and stone cold in the same night. So where do you put it? Because that is technically still in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So you you could argue you could say Michaels had more of a career in the eighties and nineties if you wanted to pull that card, but in the very late end of the nineties, Jericho was at the top of the mountain, and Michaels was out. So kind of a toss up. Just just something for you to think about. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's it, it's an interesting argument because really, to be honest with you. I mean, I could go back to that second round matchup of Jericho versus Piper, and if we're saying, well, if you're strictly going to look at the '80s and '90s, I, as a Piper fan, I could argue and say, well, really, you should pick Piper over Jericho because Piper was so so dominant and so important um, in the '80s and '90s of getting it over. But we picked Jericho, and we're comfortable with the pick just because of the fact Jericho was way over as well, but he was so much of a, a better wrestler. At that point, I mean, his matches were four and five stars and the work he was doing with the Eddie Guerrero's and Benoit's and all that. So I don't know. I mean, I don't have a problem picking Jericho because, I mean, I I think it's like, you know, picking Jericho or picking Shawn Michaels. It's like, all right, well, do you want to drive a a Mercedes Benz or do you want to drive a Porsche? You know, they're they're both that good. Um, So... Keep in mind, Jericho was the cruiserweight champion in WCW, and that was yeah. that was very significant at the time. Well, I I like me personally as a wrestling fan, I just like Jericho better than Michaels. Agreed. In fairness, that whole Montreal screw job with Bret Hart and Michaels claiming he didn't know about it. I mean, Michaels did a lot of pretty dirty things uh, behind the scenes in wrestling, and was was pretty difficult. I mean. You know, that we weren't there to see it, so it's all hearsay. But, I mean, this is what you hear. I mean, I don't have a problem supporting Jericho in the finals. So that have Chris Jericho versus Ric Flair in the finals. Great. 
Great matchup. Now that being said, I like Chris Jericho, but I well, let's before we get to the pick, I probably already alluded it. I, I I've got to pick Flair on this, but just talking about the matchup, I think it would be amazing. I mean, first off, the promos would be off the wall. You've got really good skilled wrestling in there. I mean, you know, Jericho would have Flair and the the Lion Tamer a couple of times, and it'd be. Uh, Flair would be breaking it out. He'd probably put a thumb to the eye of Jericho to get out, and Flair would have Jericho in the figure four, and he'd probably uh, turn it over and then switch into the line tamer again. So I I really think that the match would be a lot of fun. I think both guys are similar in size so that the the chemistry would be excellent in the ring. But I just think when you're looking at overall dominance, and whether you're looking at entire career or – even if you're just wanting to limit it to the 80s and 90s, I don't see how you go against Ric Flair. What's your take on that? I'm in agreement. I don't know if you say the total career of Flair was better than Jericho's total career because Jericho's roughly 50 and he's still just rocking it. And who knows what we're going to see out of him in the next five to 10 years. He he may carry this on out till he's 60. Who knows? But I'm going to pull the 80s and 90s card here. Flair wins it hands down over Jericho. Strictly 80s and 90s for sure. I I don't even think there's an argument there because Flair was so significant in early 80s to all the way up to the late 90s. I mean, you could not mention wrestling without mentioning uh, Ric Flair. And WCW was the hottest company uh, in the world for two years there between 96 and 98. And Flair was a piece of it. Even though they were trying to get rid of him, he just couldn't, he, he wouldn't go away. He was still a main eventer. He still drew the crowd. Uh, they they tried everything to get rid of him, and he wouldn't go away. So I think Flair's your Diamond, man. Diamonds are forever, and so is Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! Let me just play devil's advocate with you on this. Um, you know, there there may be some listeners out there that are like, you know what, Shawn Michaels should, should go over Jericho in that Final Four matchup. Because if you're looking at strictly the 80s and 90s career, they'd say, hey, Shawn Michaels was – he had a longer, bigger run than Jericho did because Jericho, when he was in WCW, he was more of the lightweight champion. He wasn't the main event guy like Shawn Michaels was when he was going against Razor Ramon and Bret Hart and Diesel and the titles and stuff. So there, there's an argument to be made there. Um, if you have a final matchup of Flair versus Shawn Michaels, even though Michaels beat him in the Flair's retirement match when Flair was like 58 years old, um, which I don't think is a fair comparison, What's your take on a Flair uh, Shawn Michaels matchup? Because I, I still think you're talking a five star match. A five star match when they're both in their prime, excellent build up. Uh, you don't go wrong with any of this mix. I mean, let's say it's Michaels and Macho in in the finals. I mean, <laughs> you you don't go wrong with that match. I mean, it's it's five stars. But or Jericho and Macho in any mix of those final four, you're you're good to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Michaels' entire body of work may be argumentatively as good or better than Flair simply because, and I don't give Michaels props because I don't like him or didn't like him. You know, he's turned his, his leaf later in his life. I mean, he's a Christian guy and all that now, so I'm I'm proud for him in that regard. But uh, Michaels made a comeback after a major back surgery and come back and still 
put on five-star matches and main evented WrestleMania multiple times in the late 90s and all the way through the 2000s to like uh, the 2010s, right? I mean, him and Flair's match were in 08 or 09, whatever it was. I thought it was even later than that. And then, uh, and that was considered a main event match to me. And uh, Michael still carried on and had uh, several years after that to where he was significant. So <clears throat> the entire body of work, Michael's is, is in there. But if you throw the 80s and 90s card out there, Flair's still more significant than, than Michael's. And I, I still pick Flair as the winner here, regardless. I agree. Uh, I agree. I just kind of want to have that discussion, though, because I think, you know, especially for our listeners, I mean, there, there's a real serious argument. And, you know, the more I think about it, maybe if I had to vote again, I, I might put Michael's in there. But it doesn't really matter for our bracket because at the end of the day, we're still picking Ric Flair, but, and we're still talking about the matchup of Flair versus Jericho or Flair versus Shawn Michaels. But I just thought that discussion would be interesting. Eighties, eighties and nineties. There is a series. And I brought this up during our discussion. I'm a Jericho, Mm -hmm. I'm a Jericho Mark. So that's why I picked him. But if you go for accolades and successes and, and all that, Michaels probably should have went over Jericho, but. It's our, it's your show, and it's our bracket, so we're going with. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we kind of were straddling the fence here. We went with Jericho, but we've definitely talked about the fact, hey, that Michaels can get over there and be in that finals. So, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because there are no trophies for second place in this bracket. There are only trophies for first place, and that goes to Ric Flair, the Nature Boy. Amen. So, anyway, very. It was a very interesting bracket. You know, this concludes our our bracket between the heavyweights, the what we consider the middleweights, and we had the tag teams. And I, I still like the way we did the bracket because I think for me as a wrestling fan, like if you had a matchup, let's say, of Ric Flair versus Kevin Nash, you know, it's hard for me as a realist to say, you know what, Kevin Nash would lose to somebody like Ric Flair or Sid Vicious would lose to somebody like Ric Flair because they're so much bigger or Vader, you know, somebody like that. So I kind of wanted to make sure that the matchups were like similar size as, as best I could in interesting matchups. But I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think about these matchups when you have the much bigger guy versus the smaller guy? I mean, guys like Rey Mysterio and his battle with Brock Lesnar show that these smaller guys can go with the big guys. And, you know, I've even saw uh, some recent matches with Ric Flair and Bruiser Brody, and, hey, Flair was holding his own in there. Yeah, I, I think it's – I mean, it can work. I mean, they – you know, if the wrestler's good enough, and I'll take a, a page out of Nikita Koloff. Uh, he made this commentary uh, well after he was out of the business. Guys like Flair – can go in there with a broomstick and sell it. You know, mm-hmm. he can go in. I, Flair could take me or you, which have had zero to no professional wrestling training and make us look good. So that's that's the key point. Flair and guys of that magnitude, and Jericho's one of them, Shawn Michaels is one of them, as long as Shawn Michaels has the right attitude, can go in there and make a mat, carry a match with a big guy or carry a match with a little guy and make them look good. So... If they're that kind of talent, then, you know, hey, and props to The Undertaker back in his prime. He made Shawn Michaels, you know, he put Shawn Michaels over in a lot of uh, scenarios and made Shawn Michaels look good. And we know in a in a shoot match that Undertaker would kill Shawn Michaels. So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it, it's the mat, the level of talent that you're working with either way. Yeah. So at the end of the day on our bracket challenges, we've ended up with pretty much what I expected in the brackets. I mean, I expected Ric Flair to come out the winner of, uh, of this bracket. I expected Hulk Hogan to come out the winner of the heavyweight bracket. And I expected the road warriors to come out of the tag team bracket, but it's kind of interesting because, you know, before this show was published, I've, uh, published episodes in the kind of the breakdown of Steiners versus road warriors. And then a battle of, let's say Hogan versus, uh, stone Cold, which was our final or Hogan versus dusty roads. And I just kind of want to share some of the feedback I'm getting from fans. Everyone, pretty much is pretty uh, uh, in agreement with the road warriors going over, but there were a fair number of people voting for the Steiners. Nobody was really picking uh, the heart foundation or the free birds or the midnight express over the road warriors. Everyone recognized the road warriors were just that dominant, but it's interesting on the heavyweights because when I posted about Hogan and, uh, and stone cold, it was pretty even among the fans as far as their support. And then when I picked, um, pitched, Dusty Rhodes versus Hulk Hogan. The fans have picked Dusty Rhodes two to one, which is really a surprise there. But it's just kind of interesting how you know, reasonable people who love wrestling can have reasonable differences in, in this. And you know, Dusty didn't make it to our finals. He lost to Ric Flair and or uh, to uh, Hogan in the final four. But there are a lot of people out there that are like, hey, you know, Dusty Rhodes is the man, and that's that NWA loyalty that you would see where people they were like wwf people or they were nwa people and they weren't like you and me who we just watched it all well again i think when you start pulling out the boundaries that we set prior to our uh matchups and you know a lot of the people that uh just looked at the post and didn't listen to the the brackets or looked at the brackets you know were they using the 80s and 90s as a bar or, you know, were they were they using that because that's what we used? And d- yeah. Depending on where the talent landed in the bracket, maybe Dusty comes out a different uh, uh, scenario if he's not paired up with Flair. Maybe he's in another bracket and he goes deeper. Uh, mm-hmm. It all depends on where it's booked, when it's booked. Is it? Are, are you being? Are you going? Yeah. Are you going with your heart? Or are you going with your mind? And are you keeping the eighties and nineties? part uh, in there because really let's be honest by the time the 90s hit dusty Rhodes had had blown his wad for lack of better terms i mean he he was not significant anymore in the early to mid 90s he was already past his prime flair was still getting gold and still a part of the show you know so if you keep it to 80s and 90s then you know hogan and flair go over dusty there but if you throw the 70s in then maybe you've got an argument but i you got to keep everything in mind that we put out there and it's real easy to say, no, Dusty over Hogan in a popularity contest for certain people because that was the part of the country they were from or whatever. But if you put those uh, boundaries in there and those variables in there, can you really say that? Eh, I question their knowledge if so. Yeah, well, it's just interesting debates because, I mean, you look at the matchups we talked about today. I mean, we talked about the Kerry Von Erich, Jerry Lawler matchups um i mean people could go one way or the other there i mean maybe you get somebody that's a a real big kurt angle fan and they pick kurt angle over sting right um i mean it's you know very debatable i mean you you could have somebody pick a rick rude over randy savage you never know or 
who knows, somebody may pick Roddy Piper to go the whole way right. and go to that final match against um, uh, Ric Flair. Well, I mean, I think the, the argument could be, you brought it up, Piper, the argument could be had that he was more significant than Jericho uh, in that 80s and 90s. So we let's say we move him on up and then he goes against Ted DiBiase. I mean, arguably Piper could have went from the second round to the finals very, very easily because Piper could win in a popularity contest possibly over Ted DiBiase. I mean, I would, I would pick Piper over Ted DiBiase. So, I mean, you, you could very easily have an argument putting Piper in the final four. It's just, are you really measuring everything that, that goes into it? You know, that's the thing. Cause Piper by the late nineties, other than the small run he had in WCW and really let's be honest. And I loved it as a fan, the Piper Hogan, uh, scenario in WCW was strictly nostalgia and it did make money. <laughs> Trust me. Cause that was part of the time they were kicking WWF's butt, but was it really good? And once that run was over with Hogan in what 97 Piper disappeared. And, yeah, and well, and really before like 96 or 97 Piper was nowhere to be found from like 93 to 96. So, I mean, was he really significant in the nineties? Not really. I mean, so it, well, I think I, th- I think my take on Piper is, you know, he was here and then he was wrestling for a while and then he had he was really an announcer and I mean he was more of a personality, right? I think because I mean he was still a, a big big draw, but I think in WCW it was just the nostalgia thing, like you said, and the the battles with him and Hogan in WCW were okay at best. I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed it, but Roddy Piper, he's in there to to cause chaos right. and you know get the fans cheering and stuff like that. He's not really in there to give you a Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels uh, stylistic match. So even if he did make it to the Final Four, who's to say? I mean, even if he um, made it to the Elite Eight, maybe he goes against Bret Hart there. Um, but I still don't – even if you have Piper in the Final Four – I don't see how you pick him over Ric Flair. Nope. I mean, you could make an argument and say Shawn Michaels, but I, w- I would go back on the Shawn Michaels argument and say, look, Shawn Michaels had just as much heat or popularity. He had the titles. He was more athletic. Um, I mean, he could go with the promos as well. So I would pick Shawn Michaels over Roddy Piper right. to go to a Final Four match against Flair, uh, even if – Piper did make it to the finals. I'm not picking him over Flair. And even to talk, take the Bret Hart discussion into play here, let's say Bret Hart made it to the final four. I don't pick Shawn Michaels to lose over Bret Hart, nope. just regardless of the Montreal screw job, nope. because I just think that overall, Shawn Michaels' career, uh, even if you're looking at 80s and 90s, is right there with Bret Hart, if not greater, because when Bret Hart went to WCW, it really wasn't that great of a run. Right. Whereas Michaels was still really hot in WWF. So, you know, a lot of different arguments to, to be had, but I, I don't, I don't have Bret Hart. I don't see how you can make a, a really strong argument that Bret Hart wins this over Flair or Shawn Michaels. Even if you say he gets over Shawn Michaels, I don't think he gets over Flair. Um, I mean, I just really can't see anybody in this bracket that you can make a a really strong argument that they should have this over Flair. I mean, you can make some good arguments, but 
even with Macho Man Savage, as good as he was, I just find it hard to say that you pick him over Ric Flair. Nope. I agree. In this, in this bracket. I agree 100%. And I'm going to give a shout out to the Piper Hogan run. Uh, you touched on it for a minute. Uh, myself and a bunch of my friends from Webster County drove down to Nashville for Starcade 96 right after the NWO turn when Piper and Hogan main evented Starcade 96 in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was a great match. But again, a lot of it was nostalgia. But the buildup. And all that was excellent. And we were there live. That was one of the biggest pay-per-views I'd ever been a part of. And it was fantastic. It was awesome. And I was dressed in a Ric Flair robe, by the way. (laughs) In a robe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the thing that, at least for me, in the matchups of the 80s and 90s, is I took it in its context because it was Roddy Piper and Ric Flair going to battle when they're in their mid-40s. So... You know, your your expectations are different when you have two guys who are in their mid-40s who've taken a lot of bumps, and you know that they're not Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in there as far as the technicians. It, it, you take it for the entertainment value, and Roddy Piper can deliver entertainment walking to the grocery store. Amen to that. So, anyway, it's a very good match, um, and I, I think the, an excellent bracket, and I think Ric Flair is ultimately the top guy in the 80s and 90s when it comes to the middleweights. So we appreciate all of our fans listening to the podcast series when we've been breaking down these wrestling bracket challenges. We also appreciate you staying with the the length of these podcasts. But when you're doing a a bracket challenge that's this long, it's it's hard to keep it short because you want to talk about the wrestlers, give them their due, and really analyze the matches. So we thank everyone for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, continue to follow us on Instagram at Ben Wilson Miami. And of course, our website is www.benandrodney.com. We've got a pretty good library now of back shows if you want to go back and listen under the podcast tab. So hope you all enjoy the episode. Have a great week and we'll see you in the next episode.